Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 428. Jim Miller, the disc golf guy here back in studio. What happened to 427? I don't remember it. Uh, it clearly, <laughs> the internet lost it, or you did, one of the two. But, of course, last week, uh, it was a pleasure to have Luke Sampson. It was also a pleasure to not have you there. So, it really <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, the world was, they were, I was, they came unglued. I was in the place where everybody's going to be going this week. Or washed out of. (laughs) One or the other. We'll get to that later. Yeah. So uh, Johnny V is back from Florida, the traveling man. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Florida. New World Disc Golf going on this weekend, hopefully. Cross our fingers. uh, With our fingers crossed. And that will be taking place. We're talking about the Disc Golf Pro Tour Silver Series event. That's going to be obviously part of the 2023 wraparound season series kickoff stuff uh with that we'll talk uh in a few minutes we're gonna have none other than brody smith he's gonna join us we'll talk about what's been going on with him maybe recap a little bit of 2022 and what he's looking forward to in both the off season and in 2023 and then uh, of course we'll talk about some of the other events that took place just this last weekend and any other news or happenings the haps as the cool kids still say, no one all says the haps that. <laughs> that are going on in disc golf no. here as part of 428. So without further ado, unless there's something I don't know, no. all right, we're going to welcome him into the show. It's been a little while, so we're catching up with none other than Brody Smith. It's been a hot Everybody? minute. Well, it has well, been a hot this? minute. What's going yes. on, guys? Uh, yeah, when, when was the last one? I don't know. Before your little podcast network. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, tell all the guys we say hi over there at some point. But yeah, I think it's probably been a, a little over a year, probably a year and a couple months. We'd have to go back okay. to the all archives. Right. At least, at least. Because uh, we had him on for game night a year uh, or two ago with a, with a bunch oh, of people. Oh, that was and, right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Nonetheless, glad, glad to have you. You've been, uh, of course, uh, very busy. And I know by nature you're a very busy individual both on and off the course uh so let let's just start with just the last couple of weeks we'll say and let's go back to um 
you heading out to Vegas and uh, mm-hmm. an event taking place out there. We didn't have you on last week or uh, just after the fact, but uh, let's talk a little bit about it. You you picked up a, a a win out in Vegas. Tell us about it. It's literally one of my favorite tournaments uh, I play all year. It's something I look forward to, and uh, I didn't even realize this. Kelsey was telling me it when we were actually flying out there how my season starts in Vegas and it, and it ends in Vegas, which is kind of a <laughs> – Kind of a cool thing, but uh, yeah, we you were out there the very first year I went out there. This is we kind of just stumbled upon this tournament. Me and mm-hmm. my buddy, he lives out in Vegas, and he's been a an old old ultimate frisbee guy and someone that I've obviously kept in touch with, and we're really close friends. And kind of got him into disc golf, and he was like, "Hey, man, there's this tournament." Uh, you should come out and play it. And I was like, sounds good. And this was still obviously my first year playing disc golf. I didn't really know what was going on. And that was the year that Rico and uh, James Proctor had that like crazy battle back and forth. Um, but it was just basically me and him. And then one of his buddies that he kind of got connected to out in the Vegas disc golf world. And it was just us three playing in the tournament. The next year coming up, I basically was telling my other buddies that have picked up from disc golf from ultimate, you guys got to come out here. You guys got to come out here. I think we ended up having like five or six people fly out for it uh, last year. And then this year was the biggest one. Um, We had, I think, 13 people, 14, yeah, 14 or 13 people. Um, The wives came out too, and they all played in what is now, I guess, female (laughs) amateur four. Okay. I believe is the correct terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was an absolute blast. Next year, there'll probably be 20 of us all out there. It's something that we definitely look forward to. And, you know, for me, obviously, yeah, it's, I'm going to be competitive and try to win. But it was less about that and more about hanging out with the guys, spending time with them. And then I also caddied for uh, Kelsey every round. So she went out there at like 9 o'clock. We would finish right around... Uh, some of those rounds were kind of long. We'd finish <laughs> right around like one thirty ish or something like that. One one thirty, and then you know I would have a couple minutes to get ready and go out for my tea time. So uh, it was it was a blast, and uh, yeah, look, I always look forward to that tournament. Yeah, and let's start there. You know, everybody has a slightly different version or experience when it comes to Vegas. Uh, I. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Everybody finds different things, whether it's the gambling or the shows, the adult entertainment, uh, the the disc golf, uh, whatever. I mean, there's so many different ways to be entertained and just flat out scenery and and touristy things. Your Mm -hmm. sports now. I mean, there's and all the sports, you know, sports betting, the Raiders. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. all the different, uh, you know, the sports just for anyone that doesn't know, I think I know where you kind of lie, but what's like, what excites you about Vegas? Because I don't, I don't think you and I have the same experience for instance. Yeah. I mean, Vegas is one of those that, you know, you kind of get for me, at least you kind of get numb to it a little bit. So I don't have, I have like no interest in like sitting down at a blackjack table or uh joining like a poker game or anything like that by myself. It's, it's really just about the people you're with. Um, and so I can, I have a, I can have a blast sitting down playing $5 blackjack with my buddies for a couple hours. Right. And that to me is, is, uh, 
So it's a lot of fun. And Trevor, mm-hmm. Trevor came out with, uh, from Fanal Foundation. He came out for the first time, never, never been to Vegas. And we kind of gave him the quick, like two and a half hour before his flight. These are the things you have to see. Took him to the Bellagio fountains, which I actually haven't seen in a couple of years. And I mean, it is that never gets old. That is always an incredible show. Um, and then I would say we went to, uh, our buddy got married out there a few years ago and we ended up going to our first comedy show or not comedy. Sorry. We went to our first magic show. Um, and I mean, just blown away. So I definitely feel like we need, I haven't gone to a circus, uh, soleil like event out there, show out there. I've heard those are really cool. Um, so I definitely need to kind of broaden those a little bit, but other than that, like for me, Vegas is like one night, maybe, I don't even know if I would go to the strip. Honestly, we go to kind of a uh, green Valley ranch, which is a little bit off the strip, way cheaper hands of, uh, mm-hmm. uh or minimums. You don't have to deal with the 15 to $25. Um, you're also not normally not having to deal with like the touristy type of players too, of where people are, don't know how to play blackjack and all that stuff. You kind of can stay away from that. And then they also have bingo, which if you haven't played bingo in Vegas, that is a must as well. We, we try to do that two or three times every time we're out there. Uh, that's, that's actually a great, uh, I'll have to actually follow up with you on that. Cause I love playing bingo anywhere. And of all the yeah. things I've experienced playing bingo in Vegas, isn't one of them yet. And then, and that kind of leads also, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, you talked about a 9 a.m. Uh, tea time. Those are long rounds, long days out there. Plus, then you're going out to play. And you're also similarly, the, the, the partying, drinking lifestyle is not part of your overall, you know, uh, agenda either when you're out there. Fair to say, right? Yeah, I was talking to someone. I was talking to someone about this the other day because um, obviously I was just at a wedding. And at weddings, a lot of times people drink and, uh, you know, he came up to me and just asked, like, hey, why don't you drink? And this is, maybe you guys will will answer this one for me because I always like to hear people that do enjoy drinking, why it is that they drink. So for me, I have, for whatever reason, I have, I don't know what it's called, but I have something to where, like, carbonation actually, like, burns and, like, does not feel good. So if I drink soda or anything like that, it's a very uncomfortable feeling um, so I've always just been kind of turned away from it. Now, obviously flat soda I can drink and I, you know, it doesn't, but it's like, I don't know for me, I just like water and Powerade, right? Sure. Um, so when it comes to alcohol though, a lot of drinks are mixed with soda and beer is carbonated. So I've, I've taken one sip of beer and was immediately like, this is disgusting. I I'm, I'm good. Um, now I have taken tasted like, it's weird. Like, I like Moscato, like that's a dessert wine, but like to me that tastes good. And I feel like people that drink, and this is where you guys can cut me off and let me know if I'm being an idiot, but I feel like people that drink either do it because it tastes good or they do it because they're in like social situations and for them it helps them, you know, loosen up or kind of be less nervous or whatever it may be. And obviously everyone knows that's not an issue with me. If anything, you know, I probably need something to kind of dial me back a little bit. A peanut butter sandwich to slow you down a little bit. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, when it comes, when it comes to taste, there's just a lot of them just like, they're doing like tequila shots and stuff. And it's just like, that just smells like rubbing alcohol. That just smells, that is not going to be enjoyable to me at all. 
Yeah, there are different drinks. I'm with you. I don't drink beer. It, it's never sat well with me in general. It hits my stomach and it almost immediately wants to come back up regardless of how much I have. And that's a me thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind carbonation, but I don't usually like to drink something that doesn't taste good. The closest thing that I get is like a really like like a bourbon. Like it's not. I almost want to say it doesn't taste like your kids would hate it. Like the most people, you know, you mm-hmm. handed somebody the first two drinks and they're not going to like it. I don't like wine either, though, because for me, wine, if I drink something, red wine's makes, really dry. It, it yeah. may, if it makes me more thirsty, then what's the point of drinking it? Is kind of how I feel. So yeah, you're how similar is bourbon thirst. to whiskey? Yeah. What was that? How how similar is bourbon to whiskey? Very similar. I you know it, it's it's pretty close. Okay. I, uh, so like. I, 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 I'm like the tip. Uh, what people would say is, I guess I'm like the typical sorority girl when it comes to drinks, like a strawberry daiquiri, mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. I can drink that. I also can't taste the alcohol in that. Um, and then my go-to shot, if I am going to have a shot, would be a Washington apple. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar sure. with that. Yeah. Sure. yeah, some kind of schnapps. It, it's or, it's yeah, a liquid yeah, gummy yeah. bear. It's a it's a liquid gummy bear. Is yeah. is what it tastes like. So like I can I can I can drink a lot of those. Um, if I need to, but <laughs> most of the time, most of the time I don't need to. So I'm yeah. good. It's also nice on the wallet too, not to have, uh, not to have drinking, you know, being something that. Yeah. Cause that adds up, college, especially in Vegas. Of, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. Yeah. More there than if you than get all- almost literally anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you're not gambling, obviously, cause it's, you know, it's free, but even it's not free cause you're tipping like $5 every drink to the people. And so it's like, yeah, with those chips, man. They get you with those chips because you're just like, oh, yeah, here. It's just, that's not here, real money. Is, that's not real money. real money at all. No, no. Yeah, Trevor Trevor was like absolutely blown away because I think I like sat down uh, at a roulette table real fast and I handed him $100. They just took it, put it in that little money box and it's mm. gone. And then boom, four <laughs> chips, 25, bet it on black, it hit red. And he's just like, wow. Like that just happens so fast. I was like, that's how they get you. Yeah, it yeah. happens real quick. And next thing you know, you're uh, you're dipping into your college your your kid's college fund. Yeah, it well, not me. <laughs> yeah. But I mean just yeah. 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 It, yeah. it's uh that's a whole nother world, clearly, uh when it comes to all the gambling and, and real quick, I'll just say on the drinking, yeah, clearly there's a massive in uh uh perception that everybody needs to do it and or that somehow that's what is uh, required for people to have fun. Uh, Johnny V and I've never been that way. It It's something that I feel like it, if it's there and it's going on, that's one thing. But um, I, I have found lately, thanks to Nate and Val and my relationship with Bevel, I have been dialing in something that just t- tastes except, uh, exceptionally well or, or good to mm-hmm. me. And, and like you said, um, yeah. I, what I'm now drinking, if I am having anything, is more of these really heavy, high octane, very powerful beers, but they're very, uh, very sugary and and sweet, which, and which they're is not really helping anything to do with my physique <laughs> uh, at all. Which is really funny because for the longest time, you and a lot of people would make fun of me for the drinks that because I would drink the apple cider drinks, like the they the, taste good. They taste good, exactly. It's very they simple. They taste but, good, but. Obviously, joking between friends, that was the joke. Like, they're all drinking regular, quote-unquote, beer, and I'm sitting there with, like, a woodchuck, and I'm thinking, okay, whatever, and and I would get uh, I would get the brunt end of a few of the jokes, but, and now Terry here is, it's a much heavier type of drink, but yeah. it's still more, 
flavorful than your traditional. There, there's way too much emphasis put on, I think, drinking in general in our overall culture. And that's a guy who's grown up in, in Wisconsin. Yeah, in Wisconsin, of uh, all places. Where, you know, per capita and, and, you know, we have like, you know, 40 out of the 50 drunkest counties, uh, as the maps will show you guys. So anyway, yeah, good I mean, to hear that-, that you can like, I think that is important, though. I guess that maybe that started this whole conversation is like. Vegas can mean so many different things to so many different people. And I've, I've, I too have had the pleasure of being out there where I didn't put a single dollar down on a table for a whole weekend or, or didn't have a single drink for a whole weekend. And you can have just as much fun, whether it's the shows, the comedy, the I'd hypnotists, a, the tourism. I'd pick a different restaurant every night because they have some of the finest exactly. wow. restaurants. Yeah. Like, I want to go. The I buffets go eat, are. Yeah. Not even the buffets. Like, sit down. Like, I want to eat. Yeah, Wolfgang fancy, Puck's food. Yeah. Like I want to, you know, I want to experience that in Vegas. I haven't. I've yet to mm-hmm. be to Vegas. So one of the you guys, uh, you guys have to do. You have next time. Next, I guess if you're going to be out, I don't know if you'll be out there for the Vegas Challenge, but if you will, or next time you're out there, you got to go to Green Valley Ranch. You got to go to uh, I believe it's Rock Top Pizza. As soon as you walk in, it's on the right. Their pizza is so good, and there's like seven different types that you can get. So if you like thin crust, thick crust, whatever, they, they have all that. Hit that up, maybe play a couple hands of blackjack, and then head over to nine o'clock bingo, and then you're good. It's we're, it's a great we're there. Great, great yeah, night. bingo, bingo. That's yeah. what's going to be at for me. I, I do love that idea. All right, so uh, uh, you guys are out there, like you said, you've now turned this into uh, you know this big gathering of buddies and wives and everyone else to come out there and play. Uh, you were the highest rated player. You ultimately took it down. Shooting two ten forty two rated rounds, yeah. So and a ten oh seven. You know, sunsets a course that no one sees outside of you know this event or two a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, clearly it doesn't. It, it couldn't hold up to the high level. You know, elite series events and such. It was taken off of you know uh, being an A tier and and the Las Vegas Challenge. You know, probably almost a decade ago now. But w- do you enjoy sunset as a course, like? What's your takeaway there? Yeah, so I mean, we play a way different layout than the actual 24-hole layout that Sunset normally has. And they also, I believe, have tons of different pin locations that they constantly move around. So mm-hmm. you can go out there at different times and play a completely different course than someone that was out there earlier. Sure. I would say like this year's course was maybe my least favorite from the past two years, mm. um, mainly because of just they made it a lot easier and the first year I was out there, obviously I was way worse than I am now, but the first year I was out there, if you threw a bad shot, like you were OB and, and you could, you could take a lot of bogeys and, and potentially double bogeys out there on some of those holes. And I feel like they definitely have kind of moved it with a tournament where you have everyone playing the same layout. All the AMs are playing the same layout. Mm. Uh, the women are also playing the same layout. They, they even changed the par for the women. So like, uh, I want I want to say like the winner, I want to say like the winner of uh, Kelsey's division was like forty over or 50, thirty-eight over par, forty something over par. Because um, I mean, some of those holes were like you know four hundred and eighty foot par threes. So yeah. um, my my buddy actually, my cousin who came out as well, he I think he made a great example, and I talked a little bit about this on debate night about how the course was set up as if they had bumpers if you went to go bowling, right? So if you threw, if you threw a good shot, there was really nothing in your way. You know, you, you'll get the strike. 
But there could be someone that walks up and throws a forehand roller, basically just chucking the ball down the lane, and it just ricochets off of a couple bumpers and then gets a strike. So the other way of thinking about it too is there's a lot of they, – they made a lot of holes that were very difficult to birdie. But if you went for the birdie, you could potentially bogey because there was mandos that you could miss or there was OB by the the green. But if you just walked up to the hole and was like, I'm just going to cut this hole in half and throw a 225-foot shot, a 225-foot shot and make par, it was very, very easy. So it was one of those courses that I think probably suited the majority of the players because the majority of the players in this tournament are like MA2, MA3 um, and the uh, same on the FPO side. Um, so it is what it is. I think a lot of, obviously, people that played in the tournament like, enjoyed it. But um, we'll see kind of what they do next year. I just always thought it was really fun to have like a really, really challenging kind of uh, course on that layout. Yeah, and, and like you said, they've had so many different variations and options and things that they can do. But then at the same time, mm-hmm. if you're if you don't have a split weekend and you're really catering to multiple, uh, you know, or a ton of different divisions, it's like where do you put the tees? And then are the you know the par all of that? Like all of that comes into play that it can be really difficult to appease such a a wide diverse yes. of players. And and then like I said, I'll go back to it everybody's already in Vegas for a slightly different reason. And some people like mm-hmm. the idea, Hey, it's the end of the year. I'm really here to party and to hang out and play a little golf. I don't care that I'm not challenged, you know, with really difficult holes. And then, you know, you, you have a slightly more, we'll say uh professional and a little bit more stringent, you know, uh, you know, competitive yeah. uh, angle to it. You know, it's just, it's really tough. I think to, uh, you know, especially in a place like <laughs> Vegas. So, um, yeah, but no, my focus, yeah, my focus definitely was way more shifted towards helping Kelsey every day as much as I could and then helping the other guys that were, you know, what disc should I throw here? Or, I mean, heck, even after some of the rounds, we would stay an hour or two after and I would help them either pre- practice putting or learning how to throw a better forehand. So it, that was more of the tournament's focus was more about helping the newer players that are kind of in my friend circle um, versus like, all right, I got to be at the, I got to be at the course an hour before my tea time. I got to go through my warm ups. I got to do all this stuff. Um, it's much more of a chill thing just from a selfish standpoint. It was, you know, there, there was a couple holes that I was just kind of like they had in the past that they didn't have this year that I was kind of a little bit bummed out about because sure. they were fun to play. Now, when you talk about this friend group, is that, I think naturally I immediately assume that has some ultimate background or maybe some other sport. Yeah. They're all, ultimate, where, where, all yeah, where are these? Yeah. These are ultimate converts ultimately, ultimately. Yeah. I want to I say uh, this year, cause we obviously had a bigger group show up. I want to say like the majority were uh, ultimate Frisbee teammates of mine at the university of Florida. Mm. And then we kind of picked up my cousin who ended up actually catting for me at the Las Vegas challenge this year. Uh, he drove in. Um, and then one of the other guys from Tampa plays with someone there who actually played ultimate Frisbee on a different team in college. Um, but he came out as well. So the majority of us, obviously the wives, not any ultimate Frisbee background at all. Uh, but the majority of the guys out there were, were all ex-teammates in Ultimate Frisbee. Okay. And how how do you feel like, and not even just you personally, but how do you feel like Ultimate players 
are adapting and or are they still coming over? I mean, you know, we talk about what COVID did and what that's been like and obviously going from the team down to individual. Do you still see that? And and do you feel like you have some influence on that still? I mean, I think they definitely are coming over like more on the hobby side. Okay. I don't know if we'll see the fact that we haven't really seen a big boom on like the professional side. Okay. Uh, I think just shows a little bit of where you kind of have to, it, it really is one of those things where you have to lose, you know, a little bit of your ego of like, I can throw a Frisbee really freaking good. You have to be like, I have to just completely throw that out the door and be okay with sucking at throwing a Frisbee to be able to do it the right way in disc golf. And I would say you also have to completely shut off ultimate if you want to actually get good at disc golf. You can be, you can be decent, I would say, at both. But if you want to get good at disc golf or you want to get good at ultimate, you can't be doing both on a consistent basis. It's just the, the throws are way too different. Um, and it, it's, it's just something that I, I don't think from a, a physical standpoint of like muscle memory and just angle control and all those things that you can just fluidly go, and go back and forth between the two. Are you a little surprised that we haven't seen more ultimate players try to dip into the professional or even amateur disc golf? And maybe they are, and we're not seeing as much amateur because of the, because of the money. I mean, we all know that ultimate, there's not a lot of money in that. You're not very few. Yeah. Very few players are playing that permanently, but if I'm an ultimate player and I have a pretty decent Frisbee background, I think, as you said, you can make the change. It's just, it's going to take some work. I look at someone like Ella Hansen, or yourself, or uh, uh, Andrew Fish. Fish, or Kramer, who 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 was an ultimate player. These guys, these people are making a living now playing disc golf. I as an if I were an ultimate player, I would maybe be a little jealous, but think where did the Chandler guys, play? I didn't know he played. He was, I think I, I think he was just more like a, a, a casual, a casual college kind of player. Yeah, I believe. and yeah. Uh, he went to and and that's. Somewhere in Texas, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But but I would think, like, is the grass greener over there? Can I make a living throwing Frisbee or discs? They have to at least be looking, right? I mean, I think people have tried, obviously. Like, in, like a, perfect, a perfect example of that is, like, my buddy Kurt, who me and him were kind of one-two on every team we played uh, of just, you know, throwing back and forth to each other, essentially. And he probably will go down as one of the best ultimate Frisbee players of all time. And, you know, he played an MA1 at the Halloween Classic. And, you know, it's not like a super stacked field out there. I mean, you saw who was playing an MPO. It wasn't a very stacked field. And, you know, he got third, which is decent. But he's been playing ultimate – or, he's been, sorry, he's been playing disc golf pretty consistently for several months now. Uh, I would say almost like probably the last year. It's just really hard. It's like really, really hard <laughs> – to get to, um, and like, I'll be the first to tell you because I've been going through it. It's, it's so hard to just completely forget about all the things that you've learned about ultimate Frisbee and how to throw and to, to put those all away and finally be like confident in disc golf. And I mean, I think we've seen people try, right? Like obviously you, you point out Ella, but I think, 
I think what that is on the FPO side, I think that's where they probably could have the biggest because I just don't think the strength of field is that deep right now in FPO. So you could jump in and have a splash really, really quickly. Um, where on the NPO side, it'd be much, much more difficult. You can have flashes of greatness here and there, but it's much more difficult to be like someone that's competing week in, week out in NPO. And if you're not competing week in, week out in NPO and you don't have a big contract to your name, you're not really making any money. And from the ultimate Frisbee players I have known in the past, they either don't care about money and they just do ultimate and they love it and, it's, it, it, and that's what they're doing. Or they have really good, you know, they're really smart. They have really good, well-paying jobs. And they're thinking, why the heck would I quit my well-paying job to do disc golf? Um, and, you know, I think, I think we're starting to see that a little bit more in disc golf too, right? We're starting to see some people take that chance of like, hey, I've been playing disc golf for a while, but I have a really good paying job. Uh, I'm going to give my, my shot at disc golf. And those are people that are already really, really good at disc golf. So to think of like an ultimate Frisbee player to just jump into disc golf and being like, Oh, I'm going to make a lot of money right away. I think you, if you looked hard enough, you can see local guys trying to do that and play on the local scene. Mm -hmm. And we all know if you can't go to a local tournament and consistently get in like the top three, you're going to get eaten alive on the pro tour. Mm -hmm. So unless, unless you like live in Charlotte, North Carolina or some of these, or, or some of these spots where, you know, you're having to compete with some top, top players, but it's just hard, man. It's, it's so, so hard. It's, it's, I don't know. I think a lot of people just have the wrong idea that you played ultimate Frisbee. You should, you should be good at disc golf. And I, I'd almost argue that the more fringe ultimate Frisbee people like that weren't very good at ultimate or like, didn't really take it seriously. They probably have a better chance of transferring over to disc golf than the people that, that's all they did and they are so good at it because they probably have hundreds of thousands of more throws in their arsenal or, the, or in their backlog than the people that kind of just did it casually. Um, yeah, they're and, definitely and, more ingrained and, and probably more set in their ways and then tough. And tough didn't you film Ultimate Frisbee people, Terry, uh, like MVP one year? Um, no, that no, I believe that Jack, was... Jack, I feel like... That might have been Gatekeeper that you, G- GK that did the entire Ultimate Frisbee card because oh, it was Fish. Oh, that wasn't yeah. you? Oh, yeah, okay. Was not, okay. I, I, that wasn't my channel, it, but yeah. It might have been Yeah, gatekeeper. like that's... Okay, that's like a... Go go and watch that. Like those guys aren't bad at disc golf, but you also can see like there's a huge gap that they need to fill between their skill level and to be competitive on the Pro Tour to where you can make money. And there's also another thing. Like I, I just know this because we like looked this up. How many people do you think made more than forty thousand dollars this year from uh, from just tour winnings? From just from just tour winnings, I bet you there's FPO probably... and NPO. Eight? Nah, more than I'm going to say twelve. A little, a little higher. I'm going to yeah, say I think 12. it was like sixteen or I think it was sixteen or seventeen. All right. Now Which compare I, that to my... five years ago when it was three. Yes, <laughs> I thought it was way higher. I thought I'm it was just way higher. It was about I, three. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was like going to be, when we were talking about it, I thought it was going to be like 30 or something, but I'm clearly way off. But like that just shows you like, there's not a lot of people just going on tour and making that a, a lot of money. You have to be top echelon to be making, you know, $40,000. $40, like a lot of people like that, they're making that in their job. So mm-hmm. like to quit and That's- then... 
literally $40,000 is an entry level job right now. That's yeah. $20 an hour. Yeah. Almost any place you go will give you $20 an hour for a, a retail job, practically in, in a mall, in a, in a clothing store, things like that. That's, and, and you have to figure if you're making, let's say 30 to $40,000 touring, that you're spending 50,000 to do it. I was going to say 80% of that just to travel. <laughs> yeah. You know, just yeah, if, if you're sure. on the road all the time, you're probably in between gas right now yeah, and your yeah. van insurance, food, maybe occasional staying at Airbnbs or campsites. Like that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, fish, fish so, actually laid it all out in an, in an article one day. Yeah. Right? He, had, he made a great article. He has a great yeah. article about it. So, uh, maybe to wrap this, uh, this, this, we'll say conversion conversation up. If, if, if a 10 is you're the, the prime ultimate disc golf, uh, specimen, you know, insert who, who's ever named there right now, if you want to use one, but a 10 is the best and a one is the absolute worst. When you, Enter disc golf from three ish years ago, and you came over from Ultimate on a, on that scale of of barely can throw a frisbee or pick one up to you know the best in the world. Where where do you put? Where did you put yourself, or where would you put yourself when you entered? Just throwing ability because yeah, I, I had retired for a couple disc, of years. Disc, my yeah, knees were disc gone. skills, throwing, <laughs> general idea of like. Throwing a disc, frisbee, golf, ultimate, whatever, like natural athletic abilities, frame, all that kind of stuff. Where do you put yourself uh, three years ago? Uh, I was pretty good at throwing a frisbee, I would say. So you're you're five, six, seven, five, maybe? Would you on a scale of one to ten there for throwing a disc? And ten like, is like the best player in the world right now. Are you talking about? Are you talking about throwing a disc golf? He's, throwing, throwing he's, a I, I'm he's talking saying about yeah. When you stepped into the sport from ultimate three years ago, where did you, where would you rank yourself? Like looking at it now, are, were you a four, a five? Oh, throwing a disc. Yeah, yeah. A disc golf. Throwing a disc yeah. golf disc. Um, I don't know, maybe like a two. Like I couldn't yeah. throw a disc at all. Yeah. My forehand was at one out of every five of my forehand, or maybe even. Wait, way less than that. One out of every three of my forehands just went straight right, just like un unthrowable. And then backhand, I could not throw. I mean, if you really want to know, like when I came into disc golf, go back and watch that video that I did with Jomez with Paul and I think Simon was in yep. it. Yep. Yeah, in Texas. That 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 is what my skill level was because that literally is. Uh, I didn't pick up a di- after that video was done. I went back to doing frisbee trick shots. I didn't. It wasn't like I all of a sudden was like I'm starting my sure. disc golf career. Like <laughs> I didn't start my disc golf career until I believe it was like December 31st, 2019, or it might have even been just January 1st, 2020. Uh, 2020. Like that. Those those two uh, throwing abilities in that video and that are pretty much what they were. So like, yeah, I was absolutely terrible at throwing a disc. So fast forward to today, you, clearly all athletics are a work in progress and there's no ultimate perfection, mm-hmm. but fast forward to today, roughly three years later, still that same scale, one to 10 using that. Where, where do you place yourself today? And this isn't <laughs> about a rating or anything of that. nature. Um, I'm talking about where you feel you and your skill sets are and how much room do you have to grow? Like, where's your ceiling still? I think I'm probably like a seven, seven and a half, maybe. Okay. So you've done the entire season now. 
there were quite a few times after the after the end of the round, like a lot of pros, you would make a social media post saying, all right, guys, I need to get better at, I, or no, I know what I need to get better at. Mm-hmm. What is that right now? For you, if you had to focus on one thing for the next three months, what is it? Like, what what's going to get you from your anywhere from, because, I mean, there were times you were fighting for top five, and there were times you were in the 30s, in the 30s. What's going to keep you in that consistent 15 to 10 range, we'll say, and, and higher? Where, where do you need to improve? I mean, there's honestly two things that are like right here. Um, one of them being circle two putting, specifically the 60 to kind of 50, 45 range. And then the other one is just continuing to be consistent with my angles. Um I think Stat Mando put out a post stating that, like, I think it was like literally, I think me and Ezra led, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was like we led the tour with most birdies, <laughs> but then we also led the tour with most bogeys, I believe, is what the one was. I could be completely wrong, but it was something along those lines of where we got a lot of birdies, in the top but we 10. also, yeah. <laughs> but we, we, we made a lot of bogeys as well. <laughs> And, um, that, I mean, that is the biggest difference between the other people that are also getting a lot of birdies. They're just not getting nearly as many bogeys. So I, I've, I throw the disc out of bounds way too often. And that just comes down to, you know, not only just making sure I'm picking the right disc, but also just being consistent with my release angles. Like I, I, I struggle releasing on Annie with forehands with more, like with uh, distance drivers and the same thing with backhands. I struggle struggle with the kind of the turn, the, the, not the turnover. I like the turnover backhand, but when I'm like trying to throw flex, so like really overstable stuff on Annie, um, I tend to kind of mess those angles up a lot. So those are the two things that like this, this off season, I will be uh, considerably or putting most of my effort towards. I think that's one of the hardest shots in disc golf um, is that backhand Anheuser, like having it come out at an Anheuser angle. A lot of people can throw a, a power hyzer and get it to flip. You know, you just need the you need the right disc. But to actually get a good angle with power on an Anheuser angle that you're not either burning into the ground or just mm-hmm. you're picking the wrong disc and it's just flipping and hyzering out on you, that's a very difficult shot. So it's no surprise that, you know, that, that that's you've only been playing for like I said for three years, that it's still something you're working on. And then when you speak of yeah. the putting range, that that forty five to fifty five, or you know, kind of that, we'll say deeper circle two section. Do you feel like you just simply rarely convert from there, or or your looks are close and you really need to dial it in? Because I, I, to a lot of people, I think that feels like kind of bonus territory. Do you just feel like, hey, I I need to be in bonus territory to be more competitive? I feel like it only feels for like bonus territory to those people that aren't contending to win. Um, (laughs) I've been, I've been able to play either alongside people as they're, you know, potentially about to win the tournament. I've also played alongside people early in the tournament that go on to win. Like I got the chance to play with Isaac Robinson, Mm -hmm. the, in round one at Idlewild. And he kind of, kind of, you know, that was kind of where people saw exactly what was going on. And I was like, when I saw what he was doing on live, the, you know, the final day, like I was not shocked because I got to see it in round one. 
And, you know, when you watch these guys, they're putting, you know, Gannon, Isaac, Paul, Eagle, Simon, they are putting from that distance thinking they are going to make it. I'm putting for that dis- from that distance hoping that the disc stays close. That's the biggest difference. And that was the same thing that I had struggled with last season from like 30 feet. From 30 feet last season, I was worried about like airballing it and having it just go 25 feet past and now I have to make a 25-footer. This season, I'm not even thinking about missing a 30-footer. And if I do happen to miss it, I'm not worried about the comeback. I just need to continue to get that distance further and further back. So when I am at 50 feet, the only thing in my mind is trying to make it and not how can I make how do I, how can I give this a chance to go in, but at the same time, not worry about having that you know 35 foot comeback or a bad roll away or having all those kind of thoughts in my head. So not to dox you, but you're now in Dallas, right? Dallas area. Mm-hmm. You moved from mm-hmm. uh, v- Virginia area over to Dallas area. Do you have a spot in your backyard to putt? Do you have a backyard? I, I'm not sure how. <laughs> uh, yeah, what are like, you working with? Or that was, the garage or what? Yeah, basement putting. No, like, what are you was, doing in the winter? <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was one of the few things I told Kelsey because I wasn't able to be with her when she was trying to find the house in Dallas. Um, that was one of the few things that I told her. Like, we got to have somewhere where I can putt whether it's inside or outside. Um, so yeah, I've got, I've got some, I've got some decent space in the backyard. Perfect. Uh, it's funny you say that about the putting because I, I'll say this, people should go out to a basket and measure from the basket to 50 feet. And you'd Mm -hmm. be surprised how damn far that really is (laughs) and how disgusting it is to just like you said, when it's Ricky, Paul, Eagle, Simon, uh, Isaac, those types, Gannon, whomever, uh, Dickerson, are making those, and they make them look so easy. And then you go out and you're like, this is 50? This is 55 feet? And those guys are, like, making these often? It's, and, and it's, it's honestly, it's, it's like it, going to an NBA game and, like, being like, oh, wow, yeah, these guys are that big, or going to an NFL game and being like, oh, the field's this really, like, yep. go out and measure off 55 feet and then think, oh, yeah, I'm going to make 5 out of 10 or 6 out of 10 from here. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not going to do it. It's crazy. So uh, here we are, a couple more years in uh, for you. Obviously, it's been a whirlwind. You've been experiencing a little bit of everything. You've had, uh, you know, I... I I don't want to say some advantages, but you also you got to, you were able to hit the ground running pretty quickly coming in with your background, uh, with some of the connections, a lot of outpouring and support, obviously for you. What is? Do you feel like you've completely settled in? Is disc golf in any way foreign to you? As so many people talk about you and your relationship with fans and 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 you know the the mutual love and respect you have for them, but. Is disc golf as a sport in any way abnormal or foreign to you whatsoever? Is it like a second home? Yeah, no, I mean, the tough thing I would say with disc golf coming from ultimate is like you lose that team aspect, you know, um, that I, I just didn't really, that's one of the things that is just, it's tough. It's tough to be out in the road 
and um, you're just kind of solo, right? And mm-hmm. now obviously like people, because I, I don't know, I, I, I have a hard time, you know, I've made some friends and stuff like that on the road, but at the end of the day, like I'm trying to beat everyone out there, right? And so it's, it is tough to, I'm not going to be the first person to like, Oh yeah, let's all hang out. Let's do this and this. I, I, I have a very small group of guys that I do stuff with on tour and that's basically who I hang out with and that's who I, 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 you know, talk with and do that. But you do miss, like you do miss the, you know, the, the late night track workouts, the gym workouts, the, the double practices that you, you miss all that, like battling and stuff with your teammates to go out and try to accomplish something. That is probably the thing that's the toughest for me. But outside of that, like I do feel like I'm definitely getting more comfortable out there on tour, um, playing in front of people, all that stuff. I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit better at that. I would say I still struggle. I still struggle with like pace of play, uh, just as far as like there is no like there is no you're the only thing that's making yourself go. And I think that's one of the reasons why golf is so difficult is because it's not a reactionary sport. Um, it's not something where you're waiting for a pitch and when the pitch happens, you're like, I have to make a decision. It's not like you're waiting for the ball to come back from a tennis or, you know, you're, you're dribbling to try to go up to shoot a basketball. You're just, you're just standing there on the tee pad and no one's telling you to do anything and you have to eventually just tell yourself to go or you're standing there in front of a basket and no one's telling you to putt and you eventually just have to say like, all right, here it goes. That, that is still something that I'm constantly working on to try to get better because an ultimate, like that was never, that was never an issue. Like it's just a reactionary sport. You're just go, go, go. And a lot of times too, like I just wonder, I'm like, gosh, would I just be, would I just be way better if I just like stepped up to my lie and did like a pump fake and then just like stepped out and threw it? Like <laughs> yeah. instead of, you know, like uh-huh. would that just be easier for me than like standing there and like trying to do like a routine and all this stuff? So th- I would say that that for sure is still like the the uncomfortableness of of disc golf to me. Well, I mean, that's, you, there are players like, you know, you look at Coling who walks up to every 20 footer and just goes. He doesn't want to sit and think about it. He wants it to almost be reactionary. Or Isaac Robinson mm-hmm. is a very fast putter. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to look at the basket. They Germ literally kind of has knows where it is, looks at it, and flings. And it's almost a reaction mm-hmm. for him because yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, he doesn't want to overthink it, as you said. And then obviously we have mm-hmm. opposite examples, whether it's a Gannon or a Nico or whatever. And and you often hear them say. Man, I should just throw, or you're, you know, Nico will miss one and be like, "Come on!" And he'll know that when practice, when he was firing them off twice as fast, he made he made ninety nine out of a hundred from forty feet, uh, and then he's you know stands over it for a minute and a half uh, sometimes. And yeah, I think you're right. Finding that flow, finding that rhythm, whatever it is, and it's it's different for everyone. As you move into another year of touring next year, is there anything? And there's obviously talk right now with you know, new schedules, new, you know, silver series being added, playoff events, you know, the, the pro tours continuing to grow and evolve. Is there anything that you feel like would be out of the ordinary that someone like us in disc golf media would be like, Oh, he's doing that next year. Like, is there anything out of the ordinary that's that you kind of have lined up that 
would surprise anyone? No, I mean, I think I think next year is just same old, same old. Like, you know, I have I have kind of this five-year plan. Last year was year three. And my plan kind of got, I would say, slowed down a little bit because of getting Lyme disease the first year and then getting COVID the second year, which mm-hmm. if you mix COVID and Lyme disease, it's not good. So that kind of slowed my plan down a little bit. But year three work, you know, turned out to be, I mean, it wasn't as good as I wanted it, but like my goal going to year three was to contend at some events and to try to win at some events. And I came close a couple times and Mm -hmm. there was a couple rounds here and there. If they would have played a little bit better and, you know, maybe some people around me would have played a little bit worse. Um, you never know, but I have this kind of this five year plan of where I want to be in my fifth year. And then from there, kind of reevaluate, see where I'm at, and then continue on. I think the only thing that's going to be probably more different this year will be stuff that's like off the course. You probably won't see anything on the course, any, anything different. But off the course, there'll be some stuff that I'll be doing and taking a little bit more seriously this year um, than I did in uh, the past past season. Okay, and and you know whether you can share that or not the specifics, but is that oh it's, business related no, can, stuff or is that no 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 no, no. I can yes. share it's not anything exciting yeah it's just it's just staying consistent in the gym and then uh, being on a more strict diet it's not anything too exciting that's why I okay. didn't say it but <laughs> yeah uh, and, and then uh, clearly you guys have really settled into you know practice rounds and and having the fun out there doing that you see more of that is there any other content that that um, is is on the horizon? Yeah, no. Me and Ezra are going to continue to do that. We're trying to figure out exactly how we want it to how we want it to go down next year. Um, as far as like where it lives, do we make a new YouTube channel? What that all entails? Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like right now, you know, we just said that there are what sixteen, seventeen people on tour that make over $40,000 from tour uh, winnings or earnings or whatever. And, you know, I don't know exactly how much money Ezra made on his end with the videos, but I think he did pretty well, you know, with an average of two videos or so per, per tournament. So mm-hmm. I, I would say majority of the time he was making more money on YouTube than he was making uh, in the tournament. So it, it is a nice thing to kind of have. And, and the way we have it set up too right now it makes it to where the practice round, like people, you know, we get comments and stuff on the YouTube channels being like, you guys would be way better if you just focus on practice and not do the videos. Like the practice round literally is just Jude there with a the camera. Like that's literally me and Ezra. Whenever we go on a practice round, whether there's a camera there or there's not a camera there, that's just how we are. Like maybe there's maybe a couple more jokes thrown in, but for the most part, that's how we kind of are during practice rounds. And then the doubles battle is just a lot of fun to kind of just even get a little bit more on the competitive side uh, going into it. And, you know, until the purses probably go up higher or, you know, the the, the pro tour kind of shuts down some of these things because they end up having their own sponsored events and stuff that they want us to do a pro-am and all this other stuff. As of right now, like there's no reason for us to stop doing it. I think it gives the fans at home a good idea of like the course coming up. They can kind of see some of the lines. They can kind of hear a little bit more of the strategy. 
um, and, and kind of get that. And, you know, maybe even hopefully helps maybe some of the times people that can't necessarily be there on the grounds, whether they're, you know, like you, Terry in the booth or maybe, uh, Brian that's on the grounds. Like maybe we say something that you're like, Oh, I didn't even know players are thinking that. Um, because there is, I would say there's not as much communication between the pros right now and the commentators. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times speculation has to be had because there's nothing else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe these videos kind of help, you know, maybe make a little bit better of like, Oh, that that's a line that we might see here because we saw Ezra do it uh, in the practice round. Um, So, but yeah, overall it's super fun. Uh, I have a blast doing it. And obviously too, like the doubles battles, that's just, that's been so fun too, just to kind of see if you go back and watch those, you'll see ones of where, you know, they're super serious. Like the Ricky Coriolis one was super serious. <laughs> You'll see the one where it was big German Yuli. It was just a complete fire fest the entire time. Or you go back to where Gannon and Alden smacked us around and they weren't even trying. So like there's an all mix of all the, all the different kind of double battles. And I think that also helps to help some of the people that maybe don't have a YouTube channel or don't have like long form content. Uh, get their persona- personalities out there as well. I was going to say, because being in the media, there most of the time if I want to check out the course, if if for some reason I don't know it that well, I will look at uh, our whole flyovers that we have. But there were one or two times that I did uh, look at yours and Ezra's videos because if they're, and again, I, I, I have a hard time personally consuming post-production content in general. I don't. Yeah, I get enough golf in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but your guys' videos were some of the, I'll say, the best course preview stuff. Like, if I want to learn a course, I'm going to watch one of your videos, yours or Ezra's or whatever you want to, however you want to define that, mm-hmm. because the way you guys go through the course and you talk things through and, you know, you throw two or three shots sometimes. And it's, uh, I, I will say, they have, from from a media perspective, they have some valid use for sure. Yeah. And, and I guess no, that's I, good. Uh, and, and I'll follow that up with and say, and again, clearly no one, uh, there's always the conversation about uh, you, you have your favorites and, and there uh, you can't be everything to everyone. But uh, so at sparing none of my feelings, you don't have to worry about that. But in general, are there things that you feel are still obvious miscues that are coming from any of the media and, and whether it's by name or not, I'm, I'm not looking for that, that you're you know trying to blast someone, but just in general, are there some obvious miscues that could be live? That could be posts. That could be, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, pressers, whatever. Are there any obvious miscues that you'd really just, you don't understand how they're either not, cleaned up or addressed or 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 it's not even happening or it happens too much is there anything that jumps out at you from the maybe the little you consume i would say i mean i i wish i didn't consume as much as i did because when i consume especially mpo coverage that means i'm so far down the leaderboard (laughs) that my tea time was out i'm I'm done by the time that yeah once in a while as well uh yeah i I hear you and a lot of times it's like i gotta watch what these guys are doing because i'm clearly not doing the right stuff what the (laughs) heck are these guys doing (laughs) class is Um, in right (laughs) yeah i would say 
you know, the one thing that jumps out at me sometimes is just graphics. So like mm. having, having like a consistent leaderboard. Uh, and I know that you guys have like bounced around on trying different things. Mm-hmm. I think having just like a consistent leaderboard on the bottom right that shows like the top five and then maybe just cycles down to like six through 10 and then 11 through 15 or like always having something to where like I, I can quickly see what the leaders are doing. Cause sometimes like you, it, it just feels like you don't see a leaderboard for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And then boom, you get like the cutaway, which I love. I love the cutaway mm-hmm. leaderboards, but like sometimes you kind of get lost of like what's actually happening in the tournament when you have to wait that long and all of a sudden like boom someone's like has jumped into fifth place and you're like what the heck happened and you didn't really kind of slowly see and obviously udisc is there and pdga live and all that stuff but still it'd be nice to kind of see down there and i think you almost would get people to then be like oh my god this guy's making a move and then they would go on their udisc or whatever and kind of maybe see what's going on um the only other thing that jumps out at me too I would, I mean, I would say like the commentary for what it is, um, again, cause you guys, I don't think people realize like how difficult you guys have it, um, with just what you're given, you know, it'd be way different if you guys had 20 different cameras going at once and you were able to have, you know, cause I, I, I recently just went to an award show and um, I've only seen kind of pictures of what you guys, your setup is, mm-hmm. but I just went to like some, uh, Christian award show, not on national television or anything like that. It's like not a huge thing. And their pro- production, production truck was <laughs> massive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had, they had probably 25 people just in the production truck alone. So like, I don't think people realize Maybe they do now that the big skins money match or whatever happened. Maybe that <laughs> open, hopefully opened the eyes up. I think what the disc golf network does for what they have is pretty remarkable and pretty credible, uh, incredible. Um, because again, it's like if you threw me in front of, uh, you know, three cameras and we're like, all right, talk for four hours. Like there's going to be some times where it's like, there's nothing to talk about. Like we don't have anything. Everyone's walking. Like there's nothing. Like that's very, very difficult to fill that airtime. So the only thing, and, and I think, I don't know if this was like something that we might see maybe in majors or whatnot, but like what USDGC did with like the standalone cameras, I think that might be what needs to, I don't get, I don't know how much money that is or how mm-hmm. that's even feasible or any of the logistics on it. But I think having a camera that's just sitting on a par three and is getting all the shots coming in and you can just bank those, bank those, bank those. So when you do have that time of like, nothing's going to be happening for the next minute, you know, we're not necessarily seeing a highlight package of something that we literally just saw the last 15 minutes. Um, that would be the, my only kind of critique. But other than that, like, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty good. I think we found someone pretty solid in Charlie Eisen, uh, Eisenhood. Like mm-hmm. the dude hates me, but like <laughs> I think he's pretty good at what he's doing. Um, obviously, if you get Nate Sexton in the booth, that's always a plus. Terry, you've been killing it as well, um, and I think Brian has found a pretty good home too as the on course guy. Um, that again, that's a logistics thing. I've kind of I listened to his interview that he did with on the Trevor Staub show 
And he was basically telling me or telling the audience like what he has to go through. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a nightmare <laughs> to try to it pull is. off what it he is. does. Uh, so again, like the logistics of that, if that gets better, I think the pro- product definitely gets better. But I mean, all in all, I think it's a really, really good product. And again, like not, it's not going to be for everyone, I guess, but I also, I, I've just, I, I have such a hard time understanding how anyone can tell me that post is better than live. I just, again, I get it. You're working, you have to play disc golf, whatever you have excuses. That's fine. I understand if you have obligations, but again, like I just don't like sitting down and just watching stuff happen live and just being in the moment and like building up to the end of the tournament. Like you don't get that with post. You just don't, it's just impossible to get it. So I will always be a live stand. Yeah, uh, a couple a couple things regarding the the live broadcast is that's my purview. Um, as far as the scoreboard, you were saying there's a there's always a, a struggle in the control room about because we have it, it's there at times. But Mo likes to the producer likes to pull it off the screen because we haven't shown the shot yet. He there's to me there's a discussion of. Do we spoil? Oh, is it because U disc is lot? U disc is faster yeah. than U disc is faster. So if so if if we pull it off the screen, a hundred percent of the time, hundred percent of the time, that. it's because we're about to cut to the second card and show you what happened twenty five or thirty seconds ago, and Mo doesn't want it spoiled on the scoreboard because, like you said, yeah. I mean, for a golf tournament, that's they have happened. a whole goal scoring crew. That's but, happened though on the on the personal side too, because there's yeah. been times where. Uh, they're they're eight under, but I'm like, wait, they're seven under, and they're stepping up to their birdie putt, mm-hmm. and yeah, they make know. the birdie putt, and it stays at eight. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I mean, so there's to me, I, I kind of feel like I like it up more, even if it does spoil it a little bit, just because I mean, mm-hmm. oh, you, if something changes, hundred percent of the time, we're gonna show you it. If if someone in the top five is getting a birdie, we probably have a camera on them, and you're going to see it. So there's a kind of a give and take, and I understand most perspective. What's the way to fix that? There, there is no, there's no good way because you would need someone individually scoring each person all the time and then have someone communicate with them. Okay, don't update this one person's score because we're about to show it. It, it again. So how are you guys pulling the scores from UDISC? How does that work? It's, it's a whole, a it's, it's a whole backend system yeah, that they created built for from us. Day one. And it, it's the exact same okay. data everybody sees. It's just a different format for us. So there's no way that you can set like a delay or something there, on the back there's end a delay, or something but or we can delay it like up to 30 seconds or up to a minute. But then there are times where, you know, you can only delay all the scoring. So if we're yeah. showing you literally something <laughs> live on the first card, we don't want that delayed. Oh. But then we jump to the second card, which we are going to show you 40 seconds later, a minute later, a minute and 30 Dang. later. depending. On, it's such a pain in the ass. It's the worst. Like, it's it's one of those logistics things where it's like we don't have the resources to have a whole separate scoring crew like NBC, Correct. the Golf Channel. Yeah. yeah, maybe we'll get there someday. Maybe we'll help come up with a better solution. Who knows? But for now, it's like chicken and egg. Do you want to see the score update or do you want to see the shot first? Eh, I don't know. Whatever. That's, yeah. No. That's, I'm, I'm, that's a whole. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's a whole nother I think, again <laughs> the production thing is just a crazy one because there there are so many things like that where you know it's so easy for me to sit home at my couch and be like why is the scoreboard not out what yep. the heck is going on and then you explain it perfectly and it's like okay it's, yeah and it'd be better if you just rage sense. tweeted like everybody else and it's just gonna ruin it like, how much we saw it's gonna ruin it i feel like i've been too. pretty good i've been pretty because, good at, at not no, rage i'm just saying no that's yeah. honestly that's that's one that's that might be my next question um, but it's honestly yeah. going to ruin it for you because you're going to see that scoreboard vanish and you're going to think, okay, someone just birdied. Who, who <laughs> yeah. is or bogeyed, or who, bogeyed or bogeyed? Who is it? Whose score is about to change? I'm going that to see it. That could be exciting too, though. Like, that <laughs> yeah, could be exciting so, too. It's like a half yeah. spoiler. Um, yeah. t- talking about, well, God, I have two questions I really want to get to. All right. Brody three, two or three years ago had a lot of big ideas. A lot of things. What is Brody today thinking about Brody three years ago do you do you look at it and you're like yeah that guy he knew what he was talking about or are you now thinking like uh maybe 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 simmer down a little maybe simmer down man I I feel like I I feel like someone needs to go back and like make a list of all the stuff I said (laughs) yeah and then and then I can go back and be like because I have I have an I have a terrible memory so like for me to be like what what are all the stuff I said I talk also way too much so I say a lot you're talking so, to but us, that would be yeah, fun. I know. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that'd be fun if someone was like, all right, these are the top 20 things you said in 2020. Mm-hmm. What do you like, what you don't like? Um, now, one one that, and we can get on this a little bit because we got I got into a heated argument with someone recently on this one. Um, one that I've literally gone completely full 180 on is when I came in, I was like, disc golf needs to dress like golf. We need mm. to be wearing – Golf shorts, belts, polos. We need to be doing that. And now I'm on the complete opposite side where I'm not saying we shouldn't wear that. I'm not saying people shouldn't wear the golf stuff. If you want to wear golf attire, by all means, you're yeah, as, feel your, free. Your travel partner, kind of Ezra, is very yeah. known for wearing very fine we, cut. We talk back and forth all and the, the time clothes. about this. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. <laughs> to me, I do not, that 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 clothing does not feel like disc golf attire. It, it, it just doesn't mesh. It doesn't – the more I played it, the more I'm in the woods, the more I'm getting like ripped up in thorns, the more my knees are in the mud, the more I'm like doing that kind of stuff. I'm like I want to be in something that's a little bit more athletic, uh, something that I feel like I can move around movements in, and then something also like if I do get dirt – on the back of my calf or on my knee or I'm bleeding down my arm. Like, I don't know. So like to me, my go-to disc golf wear for what I like to wear is like what I would call like tennis attire, like professional tennis attire, I think is my, my go-to look, but that's not to say golf. You can't do that as well. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's very difficult because well, I mean, you either get better and stop throwing in the crap, so you're not you're not crawling on the ground, or but like you said, that's everyone's throwing into trees. Everyone's got to dig at one point, get their knee on the ground, and slide their leg underneath of a bush. You don't see that as much in golf. Rarely ever do you see players. You know, sometimes we see players get in the water. You know, I've seen that yeah. like ankle deep into water for golf, but for disc golf, a you don't. We really don't throw from water ever practically unless it's casual and it's very rare but we are mm-hmm. constantly on our knees we're on our you know backside we're on our i've seen people throw from their flat of their back you know under a tree just trying to you know that's not necessarily the best 
you know, your golf attire maybe doesn't quite uh, accommodate that. We'll the, say. the way I look at it is I've, I've been asked to go on many hikes. I've never once when someone was like, let's go on a hike thought I need to put on my golf pants and a, and a polo shirt. <laughs> okay. So that's, there's certain tournaments obviously that we are actually playing on golf courses. But again, like, if the Disc Golf Pro Tour tomorrow said, hey, we're implementing, you know, we don't like, right? Because again, I do think right now we do have a little bit of a problem with some people on tour, myself included. Like I was wearing some shorts that I was like, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was like, these are just really comfortable to wear. And they are in the guidelines of what you can wear. But looking at it, I was like, that just doesn't look that professional. It doesn't look that clean. So like those got thrown out essentially and I had to, you know, went out and bought some new ones and I'll probably do the same thing this off season for next year. So I do think there is like something that probably needs to be done a little bit for some, because I think the, the way it's worded right now, there are some outfits that can get out on tour that maybe don't look the best. Uh, but if, if the pro tour tomorrow was like, Hey, we're hammering it down. Everyone's got to wear a collared shirt. Everyone has to wear golf pants or golf shorts or whatever. I would be on board. I wouldn't be like, this is bull crap. I'm not doing this, whatever. I'd be like, that's just what it is. Uh, I'm good with it. But as of right now, I feel like I can go out and dress in professional tennis clothing, essentially, and look decent. Because I think a lot of it too, honestly, when it comes down to it, looking good, I think a lot of it just like matching. Like yeah. if you just, if you're wearing stuff that matches, <laughs> like if your hat kind of matches your shorts and like, you're not wearing colors that don't mesh well, like you're going to look good. So um, we'll, 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 I'll take Kelsey out <laughs> shopping and uh, we'll, take, we'll get that taken care of this, this off season. Uh, the, oh, the one last question I had for you, then we'll I'll let Terry take over. You talked a little bit about live and, and the broadcasters. Is that something you'd want to do? Sitting on a live broadcast, sit, sit next to Charlie, Terry, who uh, Ian, whomever it, it is as a play by and be color to their play by play. Do you think you would enjoy that? I mean, I think I definitely would enjoy it. I mean, I love watching live disc golf mm-hmm. and I love talking about it. I mean, I have a, I have a, my own podcast that that's all I do is just <laughs> talk about it. So I definitely enjoy it. Would it, would I actually be good? Would people enjoy me? That would be like the big question, you know, like I wouldn't want to do it unless I was, uh, increasing the value for the viewers. Now, obviously, we all know like not everyone is going to be a fan of you, and some people are not going to like you, and some people are. But I would say like if the majority of people enjoyed it and were like, "What Brody brings to the table, or his thoughts, or his opinions on things adds to my viewing experience," then yeah, I would definitely, I definitely want to be a part of that. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's interesting as we're seeing more and more players, and whether they are cutting their teeth in post or they're getting thrown right into a live scenario, uh, whether it's on the ground. I think of, you know, uh, obviously Brian more recently, Zoe Andike, a couple of players that are also been out on the ground, Nate Perkins, so on and so forth. We're just continuing to, to I don't want to just say test, but we're continuing to work with a number of players, Philo, uh, clearly as well, and then you have you know Sexton, Doss, so on and so forth. So it's it's been interesting, and I feel like it is at least a training ground, the post production realm. And some people may love or hate it, and then from there decide if they want to have any. Con- and and some people may only stick to post. Uh, you know, and and I, I say it all the time. What 
what someone like Yuli does, not that he couldn't be great in live, because clearly I think he could be, but live and post are still two totally different beasts uh, when mm-hmm. it comes down to putting on a professional or a semi-professional show that's now being seen by all of these people that has the Disc Golf Network's name on it. When it was just Johnny and I and Smashbox and, you know, a few <laughs> two guys in a viewers, camera, <laughs> like it was a different world. I, you know, well, and it's funny because we saw that the the GK Pro skins match. Um, a lot of people really liked what Germ brought to the table for that. But even that was unique because it was just it was literally freeform Germ. Hey, dude, fill air. Talk. We all know Germ can do that. Yeah. You and I, you could do that. I could do that. Germ, I mean, Germ's good at it, but I'm saying if you don't have a a path to take, like, hey, we need you to talk about this for a minute and then shut up because mm-hmm. we're going to a commercial. Then you're going to talk about Paul. Then you're going to talk about Brody. Then you're going to talk about You got Simon. these production, pa- yeah, you got these packages yeah. coming it's, in and sponsorships exactly. and all it's that stuff. So, yeah. it's so It was such a different thing. So I, th- I think Germ obviously could do, you know, he could do it, but there are, like you said, differences between what the post-production guys do when, you know, you, you've done post-production or you sit and talk about a shot for 20 seconds and then it's gone and you have to move on because there's something else on the screen. There's way less mm-hmm. time to, to do things. So it's, it's really an interesting uh, difference. Well, and so here's, uh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go, go, go. I, I was just going to no, say, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm looking into now, you know, that's you, your first couple of years. Now I look at, you know, something that I didn't even dissect fully today, but pro tour, I know had a, an announcement talking about tour cards, qualification methods. Obviously we just saw, uh, MPO and FPO Rookie of the Year's announced. Congratulations, both Emily Beach along with Isaac Robinson. Um, you know, all all these different things are kind of unfolding. Did Did you consume anything out of the the Pro Tour uh, card tour card qualification and and whatever? I mean, I'll admit I didn't read the email yet, but it was does, did you read it? Is there anything that jumped out at you? I, I just quickly looked over just to kind of see where like my situation was. I didn't really get too much into digging too much into like the qualifications. If you were in the, I believe it's top 80 now for MPO. Yep. And I think it's like top, was it 30? 40 I, I could for be FPO wrong. I'm seeing. 40 for FPO. So I saw that I was in the top 80. And so that kind of like, you know, after <laughs> that, good. I kind of skipped. Yeah, I kind of yeah. skipped. I think I'm actually good for two years. Okay. I think I'm good for 2023 and 2024, I believe. I think that's what they're going to do moving forward is like if you qualify, you get your tour card for two years. Um, but again, these are all things that I haven't dug into, so I could be wrong there. But okay. uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like getting into these tournaments is getting harder and harder and harder. So, you know, being able to qualify for that and, and know that I have a spot at you know, most of the tournaments I want to play in next year. Obviously there's a couple that I still need to qualify. I believe champions cup and uh USDGC are the two big ones. Um, but outside of that, yeah, definitely, definitely feel good about it. So to follow that all up, you know, looking at 2023, looking at the fact that 
you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we just saw the, the first silver series of 2023 this weekend. Again, fingers crossed. We're looking at the second 2023 event and then what they announced for next year in terms of playoff events and, and playoff plus events and a bunch of stuff. I still haven't even fully elite series plus. Yeah, sure. Okay. (laughs) That that sounds like the next size I need to wear when I go to the gym anyway. Yeah. So (laughs) my question is, um, do you feel like the the pro tour essentially uh, is what this boils down to? Is it headed in the right direction? Is there, is there things that just, this is making sense to you, you know, with some of the background in other sports and other productions, do, do you feel like things are moving in the right direction? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I've been a, uh, I've been a fan from the beginning of all the people that are kind of making the moves and stuff for the pro tour. Um, there's very few things that they've done that I felt like was caught me off guard. I think there was one, one of them was like, I don't know who the heck was running their, their Twitter account one time, but like he was tweeting some stuff that I was just like, what, I don't know if you guys remember that, but there was one moment where there's the Twitter account was going off a little bit, but, um, also I'll give you guys, uh, a little, a little piece of advice. Start trying to say silver event and elite event because the series is gone and it, it is so hard to like not say silver series because it like <laughs> rolls off your tongue so uh-huh. much. And I've said it so many times, but yeah, apparently that's a big thing too. Is like, they don't want to call it a series anymore because it was confusing because yep. people thought like the silver series was different than the elite series or whatnot. But, um, Again, like that's like something that seems silly, but like that small change probably makes a lot of sense down the road to have elite events and silver events and not have series because yes, a series is separate and why would they be together? So sure. I, I I I think what they're doing is I mean, I, I I love the direction that they're going and my big it's not really conspiracy theory, but my big idea of what these elite plus events are is I think this is the pro tour because again I think what they've done really well is like slow rolled stuff out. I think what the they're doing with these elite plus events is getting people slowly used to the idea of having four rounds at events with cuts mm-hmm. because I think eventually that is what the tour is going to be. You're going to be playing. There won't be an elite plus events. They will all be four round events with cuts. Mm. Um, and that's just your hypothesis or that's my guess okay that, okay that no no no. i don't have any i have no insider information <laughs> okay. i i get fed trust me no one tells me anything because they know if they say something it'll probably be <laughs> sent out somewhere so i have <laughs> okay. no insider info but that's just my guess is like why else would you have these events that are more important than other ones um when the especially because the fields are probably gonna be the exact same at these elite plus events as the elite events. Um, but my guess is that's them testing the waters. How, how do we get four rounds? Cause again, from a production standpoint and from a viewer standpoint, having a cut is way better. Mm-hmm. One, you have mm-hmm. way less people to deal with when the actual story of like the tournament finishing matters, you're not going to have as many backups. You're not gonna have to deal with all that stuff on the final round. And then also you have stuff to talk about at the beginning of the tournament. Right, like sometimes at the beginning of the tournament, there's nothing to talk about, but you can all of a sudden switch it to like Nate Sexton is on the cusp of not making a cut, and he has this long, 
making the cut line or like this person's made the last seven cuts in a row or you have other storylines to tell when there's a cut involved. And then also just from a player perspective, like I've always said this, like if I'm, you know, if I, if I'm a, if I'm a dead animal essentially on my way out, I just want someone to finish me off. Like I don't want to have to show up the next two days and just like, or next day or whatever, knowing that like uh, I have no chance of cashing. So I'm just like, finish me, let me, let me have a, a, an extra day to get to where I need to go next Mm -hmm. and start my practice and get going. And again, I think the tour is getting less of people that are like going to tournaments for an experience and going it for, as their job. Like if your job is, is to make money on tour, the last thing you want to do is stay in a city, spend extra money in a city that you have no chance of making money. Mm. Like already get me out of there and let me go start working on trying to make money at the next event. So I think it's slowly, I think it's slowly going in that direction. And um, I think also I love the idea of having all these extra events because again, my theory is eventually there's going to be, let's say like 20 elite events and only 13 are going to count. What's going to end up happening now is you're going to have players that can actually build out their schedule more. Where last year, other than the silver events, it really felt like you had to play everything. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually you're going to get to the point of where players are going to be able to pick and choose tournaments and say, I like this one. I want to go to this one. This one has the biggest purse. I got to go there. And I think, again, now you're going to build a little bit of competitiveness between tournaments to try to get the top dogs to go to their events. So they're going to work harder at trying to get more sponsors. They're going to work harder at trying to have a better event. And I think all the things kind of grow from there. So I love it. I think it's exciting. I'm a huge fan also, something that hasn't really been talked about that much. I'm a huge fan of the Sula Open becoming an elite event because now I, I, I also think having two weeks over Europe is going to make it to where more players are going to go out there Sure. versus before, yeah, the Sula event was a silver event last year, but still most people were just going out there for the European Open. And now I think having the elite event, I think you're going to have more guys make that trek over for both events. And I think that's just going to make the European Open way more competitive and way more exciting. So I have to ask you, A, I think you're right with the four-round event. I think the Pro Tour will slowly start to go there. I don't think it's coming in the next two years no but i think but i think they will slowly start to do that um cut after two rounds or three rounds for you because this is where it's it's two rounds it's two yeah so it's two would is 36 holes enough in disc golf to make a spread and i'm thinking like imagine i imagine a scenario where cool we cut on Friday. Boom, gone. But somebody in the area is running a tournament. Everyone who doesn't make the cut, you can go play this extra little event. Oh, like imagine that's kind of sweet. Wouldn't wouldn't that make sense if there's an elite series event or sorry, an elite event, uh, elite event in Portland? Awesome. That Portland at Blue Valley or whatever it is 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 running a huge event. You get cut on Friday, but maybe there's an event on Saturday. And they leave a couple spots they, open for they leave people five to the, seven spots mm. open for MPO and FPO. I don't so hate that see, idea. I mean, it, 
if I were a tournament director and I knew that a cut was happening on on Friday, I would do that. Why not? Or even Saturday and have a Sunday event. If but some people are going to want to get and move on to the next city. Do do you want to play? I mean, it's almost a guaranteed two to three hundred dollars in your pocket if if you can win an event because the guys that aren't making the cut in the in the elite events are probably top five in this quote unquote regional yeah. event. We'll say. I don't know. I'm just I mean, thinking. There was, there was a lot of a lot of good players that missed cuts this year. Yeah, I mean, that cuts, we're going to so. we're going to see a lot of that, or yeah. or rather, miss cash. I guess would be mm-hmm. better because there weren't that many tournaments we had cuts. Um, I'm not. I mean, I'm definitely open to like. I don't really have anything that's like it has to be after two rounds or no, it can't be after three. Like, I don't really have a reason after two or three. The only thing I would say that I have as like benefits is if you do after two, you're going to make the weekend just again, you're going to have two rounds of just super smooth play and like playing and basically the MVP open, for example, you know, we had 85 people in that event. Like that event just felt like it went super smooth. And then obviously going uh, to the tour championship where there was like no one at that event, like, (laughs) Like that, like you felt like you're almost on the course by yourself. So like playing with a much smaller field, I think it's just going to make it much easier to kind of pace a play smooth, get people around. Um, the only thing, the only other thing too that I would say is that it could be awkward if you have like a double course event where you go woods, open woods, and then make a cut. Mm-hmm. I think now you're favoring the woods people and vice versa if you go open woods open now that tournament favors the open people to make the cut versus the woods um that would be kind of iffy to go three rounds uh but yeah i don't i mean i'm not sure i i just love the i love cuts because it's like man it, it's it's just get them out of the way very, get those people yeah, out of the way. everyone <laughs> in the media loves cuts because yeah. you're right it makes our day way shorter it makes your day shorter it makes the tournament feel smoother you know there's it just everything feels better when there's less people on the course and it just everything is nicer and here's the thing too is like we're i mean obviously the pj tour does it right and they have their field strength i would say is way better than the disc golf pro tours field strength top to bottom but again, it's like some people are just like, it's just not their week. It's just not their week. They're not playing well. And I think for even fans that are going to the event, it'd be nice to just see everyone that like wants to be there because I'll be the first to tell you, like when you're not playing well at an event, it's really hard to go out there and like battle when you're like, I mean, I'm what I'm, I'm battling to like not get a hundredth and try to make 85th. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think the product kind of gets watered down a little bit if you have those people in the field the final two days or the final day, rather. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think you, that continues what you said about the cut and when. Um, I look to Ledgestone, who you know has the the two different, very distinctly different courses. You look to uh, out at Smuggler's Notch, two distinctly different courses, mm-hmm. and you know, and and I guess I feel like okay, well, twenty twenty. I mean, if we're really getting to split hairs, twenty twenty two. Uh, even though I guess world is Fox there, Brewster you know Fox, I mean. and then yeah. you go Brewster you go Fox, Fox Brewster Fox, split and up then the year next year, year. Yeah, you reverse it. I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, those are all considerations for when you have the cut and how many events. And like we, we were saying on the board, some people are talking about if if that's going to be the trend or not. Who knows? But who who else doesn't benefit from it would be media crews, the the people that have to travel to the next event. When do you get that day off? When you're if you're going to have a four day of potentially a full oh. four day event and then that's another tough. full four day event. That's that can mm-hmm. be tough on the players that do make it. That can be tough on the on the staff, the crew, the media, all the other part of the, you know, in air quotes, I'll say the traveling circus that does extend those opportunities. And I know we're growing and expanding mm-hmm. to to have more personnel, but it, you know, next thing you know, people so are So what about 3 yeah. 3 day two two day uh cut? I, I'm 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 a big fan of it. I've got no problem with that. Um, with what three day or two day? Uh, th- oh, I'm sorry. I I I'm no no. Like the- you do, yep. yeah. You do a three day tournament and you cut after the two rounds. Yeah, I'm also so that way. You okay still have that. that extra day. Yeah, you still have that extra day for travel. Because I agree with you. I mean, like some of these some of these turnarounds, like I don't mm-hmm. even know if it's feasible to do four round four round because like it's yeah. I, I it'd be tough. Exactly. It'd be really really tough. And, so and I the, think with the travel, well, and that's what I said. I think that we're, we're eventually getting there to four day events, but it's not until we're going to have those 20 events where you can pick 13 of them or whatever it is. And then you can take like, Oh, I am not going to do the, the Portland to Kansas city back to back. Like there's no way I'm doing yeah. that. So, so nobody cares if you skip one. Um, and then that's when you're going to have separate media crews. It's not going to be, you're going to find everything on Jomez. You're going to have find, you know, some events on Jomez and some on Gatekeeper for lead card. Sure. And it or you know, you know, conspiracy theory, it's all gonna be on the Pro Tour page and it just, <laughs> and someone's filming it and they're putting it there, you know? That's have you guys point. seen the uh the tournament that's getting the short end of the stick this year? Mm, that, uh, is it D Glow again? They always seems to be D Glow. No, no, this is this is again, this this is my future pit or future thought. I don't think anyone's showing up for this term. No one. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're trying to win an event, you go to this event because no one will be there. Are you looking at the schedule, Terry? Uh, I'm just pulling up the schedule to see. Okay. Um, uh, There's one that the, just jumps. There's one you, that jumps out of the page of like no one's going to play this event. Usually, uh, it's the one that where everyone flies over to Europe. It's that yeah. Week either before either the week after. before Europe would be the Kansas City Wide Open. As that's considered a silver event, and then the week after Europe is the Mid America. That's also a silver event. So both of those will be on the chopping block because a, a lot of our look at the top, one right before Worlds uh, players. Uh, the one right before uh, uh, Pro World. Wait, Rochester. Oh yeah, yeah. No uh, one's going to that. Yeah, and that's a sil- yeah, I mean that's you, a silver you're, event. You're, yeah. You're going to go to that and then literally finish on Sunday and then have to drive all the way up to Smuggler's Notch and get into – because I think Worlds is also starting um, Tuesday on Wednesday. Probably start on Wednesday, Wednesday, I'm guessing. Yeah, so you're, you're going to drive all through the night on Sunday and then get there and just have two days to get ready for Worlds? I don't think so. The, the one thing that the, that the other argument to that would be is that people know Smugs pretty well. You know, Smugs isn't going to be new. Where but they're changing is. Brewster. They're changing um, Brewster a bunch. Yeah, they'll, they'll, I think that's they're changing what, the word on roles. the Yeah, word, word on the street is Brewster is getting kind of a facelift a little bit for yeah. Worlds. But And here's what I'll say about the Silver event, um, that A, it's late in the season. 
So I, is it true you can only count so many silver events on your for Three. next year? Three. Oh, really? Three. Yeah, because this year it was yeah. two, I believe. The most you could have is but two. But they're boosted... They're boosted up to um, to fifty percent now. So like last year, they were only twenty five percent, but now they're fifty percent. Yep. But you so only you can count play three. ten, but only three. Oh, can only count. three count three towards your thing. Correct. So, so which is okay. correct? Which is kind of the my my Paul Macbeth conspiracy for this week, where he's supposed to play the Jacksonville event. It's a silver event, mm-hmm. but it's going to count towards next year. So he gets one in under his belt now. Yes, he doesn't have to play one. He gets another week off next year. Because it's going to count towards that, just like you said, you were possibly going to head out to Jacksonville. Is that right? Yeah. Well, looking at the schedule, because I I kind of throw it. I saw. I don't know who did this. I don't know. I saw Eagle post this on Instagram or something. I got this idea from someone. I don't know who it was, <laughs> but I throw it. I throw my schedule in a. Um, I throw it in a sheets like a okay. Google Sheets thing. Yep. And. Uh, from May 12th through September 14th, there is a tournament every week. Yeah. So, th- I, so I beg the question, is that good or bad? Well, so that's the thing is like I'm I'm strategically planning my schedule to where I can – I mean, I, I hate to say it, but like as – I mean, it might be the greatest name of any tournament I've seen, Zootown Open. I yeah. might not be playing at the Zootown Open because – if I play the Zootown Open, because I'm definitely playing Beaver State Fling and I'm definitely playing the uh, Cascade Challenge because I'm already going to be out on the West Coast mm-hmm. and those are right in between OTB Open and Portland. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing those four. If I do the Zootown Open, that means I'll literally do those four t- events. Then I do the Zootown Open. Then I do DDO. Then I do Des Moines. Then I do Preserve. I mean, mm-hmm. that that it's right there, that's eight, eight, that's eight weeks in a row. Uh, and then I have one week off before I fly over to Europe to do mm-hmm. that. So like, I don't know if I really want to do that. So that's where it's like, you have to be kind of strategic and what you want to do. And yeah, you guys are definitely right in the sense that like Jacksonville is a sweet one to try to get in under your belt and play well at. Um, because that was kind of my plan last year of like, let me play in all the silver events early in the season but my plan backfired because I played terrible. So like, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, getting, there's a little caveat to that. You, I, know, yeah, like, you have to play well. I was getting like 1.5 points. I was like, well, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think people are definitely going to have to make decisions on, on what they want to do. And, and uh, you know, the way I travel and stuff like that, me being out on the road that long is just mm-hmm. not very beneficial to me. So um It'll be interesting to kind of see how people's schedules for silver events kind of change here and there because I think last year we saw the first couple, it just made sense. And you might see that again with the Beaver State and the Cascade Challenge. Like we're all out there. Probably those fields are not going to be very much different than the elite events. Um, But later in the season, it'll be interesting to kind of see who decides to play here and who doesn't. I I couldn't stress that enough, I think. And that's when... When someone, uh, just pick a name, Ricky Wysocki is like, yeah, I'm not playing blank. We can't be surprised by that at a certain point throughout the season because people are going to have to pick and choose. Even if it seems like it's obvious they're there, there's going to be events where they're just going to have to pick and choose to occasionally take off for whatever reason, mental, physical, and everything in between, just have to take off once in a while. That that kind of grind is not sustainable. It's not going to shock me to see anyone take off a silver event. 
Oh, uh, for sure. Uh, any of them. It's the elite series that when when someone decides they're not going to play, like, oh, I'm not going to play Idlewild, and that's going to be like, wow, okay. So, but it's going to happen. And I think too with the schedules. I think a couple things are going to be cool from this. One, the majors. One thing that I've always kind of been like, why the heck is this a major? Like, everyone, it just doesn't feel any different. I think majors are going to start feeling different because they will be one of the few tournaments in the future where the best players are all there. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look at who was at USDGC, who was at, obviously, the European Open was the weakest field by far. But if you look at the other majors, Champions Cup, uh, Worlds and USCDC, it's not much different than all the elite events. It's pretty much the same top guys. But I think what you just said, like Ricky saying, like, I'm not going to play this event, like more people are going to do that. And so as a fan of the sport, not just a player, as a fan, like I'm going to be more excited to tune in to these majors because this is the one of the few events of the year that I know the entire field is going to be there. And I don't know if we're there yet or we're close to there. Obviously, like, Ledgestone kind of gets put on a little bit of a pedestal because of the payout in the past, but other payouts are kind of catching up. Right now, like, an elite event is an elite event, right? Like, no one no one really looks different. I think down the road, as these events get more and more kind of built out, more history, more stuff like that, there's going to be people that are like, I really want to win at Idlewild because Idlewild – is a way bigger win than going out and winning the OTB Open. Because that will happen. Even though they're the same classification, even though they both will go down as an elite event, the fans, the players, there will be some events that stand above the the rest. And those fields will also be probably a little bit stronger of where you know it just means more to the pros or the payout is the biggest there, whatever it may be. There's a reason why those events matter more, even though they're under the same classification. And I think that's just going to be cool to kind of see all that stuff kind of work itself out and uh, see what players end up deciding is like, I need to play this and I don't want to play this event. Yeah, I mean, I and I think as you're saying, there's payout has gotten us to a certain point, but now there's nostalgia there's history, there's just the overall timing of it. Like, let's face it, n- n- poll 90, and, and uh, if you polled our players, 99% of them are like, yeah, I don't ever want to miss Maple Hill and, and Smugs. Like, that time of year, even if they weren't playoff of the events. Country, <laughs> yeah, even if they're not playoff events, they just want to be there. And so, uh, you know, those those feel like they're just staples no matter what happens. And then everyone else kind of is vying for, you know, winning winning over the love. And at a certain point, some of these courses will either grow out of or, oh. or you know, or they'll get surpassed because someone like an Eagles Crossing comes along and just is undeniably needs to be on the list or whatever. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a hot whatever. take. That's a what, whatever, whatever the, I mean, you say, whatever the property is. <laughs> Now, not necessarily, they're not sending us all the way out there. Come on. I'm just saying, uh, you know, there, there's going to be, you know, and you said it earlier, there's a, there's going to be this good, healthy rivalry between the events and between the venues of who can attract the players, who can get them there. The clubs are going to be fighting harder and harder to have elite level play happening at their course. There's going to be 
more uh, people that are going to come along and build your Maple Hills and build your Eagle Crossings, so on and so forth. Those are going to continue to develop as well. So it's uh, yeah, and I think too, a pretty damn good spot. Let's put it that way. I think, too, you're going to have like the Disc Golf Pro Tour is going to have their, their sponsors, right? They're going to have people that from tournament to tournament, they're sponsoring their, their commercials, all that stuff. But then there's going to be specific ones like we've seen at the Tour Championship, right? Like that's where we've kind of had the biggest, I guess, media uh, or biggest like uh, visual of like Mm -hmm. certain people that are like, we only care about this tournament. We haven't seen that as much at other tournaments. There's not like, uh, I mean, I guess Ledgestone, right? With Nate owning the company and all that stuff, we see it a little bit there. But we haven't seen it as much in other tournaments. But I, that's where I think it's going to get real interesting is when you start having like this sponsorship battle of I want we talk I want our tournament to be best. What are you talking about? What do we need to do? Oh, we need we need we need to make the payouts bigger. Okay, here's an extra fifty k. Like that, I think is where it's going to be real real interesting moving forward of seeing how sponsors are going to be like. We're throwing our money and our time and effort into this tournament. We want it to be better. We want it to be the best tournament on tour. And then in other tournaments, like, well, wait, we're doing the same thing over here. We want our tournament to be best. Because I think you're seeing that right now with clubs. Obviously, there's tons of clubs that are putting in crazy amounts of effort and stuff to try and make them the best. But they still have the funds, right? Like, you can do a lot more, well, depending on who has the money. But you can do a lot more when there's a lot of money involved, so... Well, so you, you touched on one other thing um, that I was thinking a little while ago, which is the Disc Golf Pro Tour, the sponsors, the outside sponsors. And this is something that you did talk about. This is something we've talked about, you know, being in the game for 25 or 30 years. But Pro Tour Championship specifically has, has really garnered up some outside of the sport sponsors. You think about uh, the mortgage company last year. You think about Barbasol this year, uh, Johnsonville, obviously, so on and yep. so forth. There, you know, uh, L.L. Bean uh, comes to mind as well. All of these legitimate companies that are not disc golf centric. My, I guess my question to you is, a couple years in now, are you happy or disappointed in who's come on board and maybe even the quantity, not necessarily the quality, but the quantity of outside sponsors who's, who have come on board. Where, 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 where do you feel on that scale? I mean, I think obviously like the, the names you just listed off, like those are good companies. You know, if those Mm -hmm. companies reached out to me on an individual standpoint to say, Hey, we want to, do an Instagram post or a sponsored YouTube video, like I would be stoked. I'd be very happy to work with those. Mm-hmm. Um, would you so shave? I think, I think, would, would, would you go clean shaven for Barbasol? All of it? Yeah, he would. That I did that with... Uh, Put it on your face. <laughs> I did that with, uh, what is it, One Blade. Did you? Um, oh, yeah. God, wow, I'm, blank, I'm blanking on the name of the, the, the actual company, but the, the name of the razor is One Blade or whatever. Yeah, I shaved my whole face off. Kelsey hated it. <laughs> Um, uh, Kelsey, look at the paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she didn't. She didn't mind that, but yeah, she didn't exactly. like having to stare at me without a beard for a little bit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think what the Pro Tour is doing good. Like, and again, this will be something that tons of people will disagree with me on, and I, I don't even know if I'm 100 percent right, but I feel right. 
I, I think production is, is I think they are, are I think it's we're in like, like stepped on the host and we've got like bare water going out there because our numbers are growing from life, right? They're growing from Jeff just is trash or good. No, yeah, it's, well, that's what, sorry. Yeah, thank you for noticing. Oh boy. That's what we're just double checking. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's right. Just look, yeah, look like your internet freaked out for a second. I could be back. I'll be back. Uh, I can try switch internet. over to. I switch over to a different internet. Hold on. Yeah. You can try this, refreshing this the browser. Be... That might work. Yeah. Okay. If you refresh the see. browser and we lose you for a second, then you'll pop back on. That works. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna wait for just a moment. A little technical difficulty is uh... Not bad. We got. Through an hour and forty or an hour and forty two minutes with him with no technical difficulties. That's there pretty we good. Go. Now you're welcome now back, Brody. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. test, you're test. Okay. okay. I'm okay. back. Right. Sorry, okay. so you were right saying about the sponsors? Well, I think I think someone just came in and, and I think some post production just came in and sliced <laughs> off my internet. They didn't want me to get my my <laughs> my thoughts out. Um, no, I just think I think it's a numbers game. It's simply, simply a numbers game. And the conversations I've had with companies and stuff I've made connections with YouTube and social media and stuff like that. At the end of the day, it's just like, they're like, no, we just like, we just want to sponsor you for or pay for you to do like your trick shot or pay for you to like post on. They're like, we don't really care about disc golf. And again, numbers, right? And, um, gosh, this internet's killing me. Hold on. I'm going to try. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Honestly, it was a glitch here and there, but you were doing all right. Not brought to you by Spectrum, <laughs> Internet <laughs> Service, or AT&T Fiber. Mm. Brought to you by Mason Productions. <laughs> <laughs> Mason Agency. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. The jokes keep on coming. Yeah, they do. So we'll just wait for a moment here for Brody, who's probably reconnecting uh, there at his residence. And then we'll see if we can get him back on here. Uh, if you do have any other quick questions, uh, we might be able to try and slide them in. We're going to be uh, wrapping up here with Brody pretty soon. But if you got a question, put it in the chat. Um, make it special. You know what I mean? Like super special? Mm. Just, uh, All right. If it, if, it, if it craps out, I apologize for everyone watching. Oh, that, that's fine. That's fine. We're almost, we're almost done anyway. Don't worry. We've only... Uh, you know. <laughs> so you're saying that the, the number, it's a numbers game essentially right now. And... and you're saying companies don't necessarily care about the sport, but they like what the numbers that your platforms uh, that you've acquired or what was that conversation like? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think my, my dealings with companies, it's two things. You either have like an in with someone like the owner of the company or the owner or like uh, the head of marketing, or whatever, like their kid watches their video, your videos. And so they like tell you, know, the dad sees or the mom sees them constantly watching this and they're like, who is this? It's like, Oh, it's Brody. He throws Frisbees, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get an email being like, my kid won't stop talking about you. Uh, do you want to do like this brand deal with us? Like mm-hmm. there's that side of where you just have some people that just are passionate about it. There might be someone that loves disc golf in a company and is constantly like trying to tell people like, Hey, like we need to be putting money into uh, disc golf. Or there's a side that just simply like the numbers are so huge that you're just like, we have to get involved. 
I don't think disc golf is there yet as far as like the numbers being massive to where companies are like, this is a no brainer. We need to go in into this. Um, and I think also when your numbers are as small as they are with disc golf, companies have to be smart with, you know, what kind of product they have or what their services that they're trying to sell to this, this audience. They have to look at the market and see who they actually are marketing to. It's the same thing as like, you know, if you're a girl on Instagram and you have a ton of followers because you post pictures of you in bikinis, uh, yeah, you have a ton of guy followers. But if you all of a sudden like make a post about some beef jerky and tell people, hey, you need to buy this beef jerky. It's my favorite beef jerky. It's probably not going to sell that well. Versus if you're a girl that does makeup and all your followers follow you for makeup and now you come out with a new like, hey, this – I don't – gosh, I don't even know about makeup. But this new <laughs> – Eyeliner. This new brush. Yeah, this new brush is so good. You guys have to buy it. That's probably going to work a lot better. You know, you're bang for your buck. So I think with disc golf, we're in the more of the let's see what – you know, disc golfers are willing to buy or what they're into and whatnot. And like, I think, you know, you look at Barbasol, for example, like, I mean, I'll like a lot of guys play disc golf. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys shave. That seems like a pretty good kind of relationship for them. And I think the big key for these is going to be, or at least for me, like the, the thing I'm looking at is like, how many does Barbasol want to be involved next year? I think that's going to be the big one because if Barbasol says like, Hey, you guys did awesome. We'd love this. This was great. You guys were great for our brand. Cause again, I don't think a lot of these are, have to be like, we didn't generate, you know, we paid you guys a hundred thousand dollars. We didn't generate 50,000, 60,000. This makes no sense. Like a lot of times December, for example, everyone knows that December companies just have to throw their money out because if you are marketing and you have a marketing budget of a million dollars and December rolls around and you have money left over in your marketing budget, what does the owner of the company go? Oh, well clearly you guys don't need that much money next year. So we'll just have a $900,000 marketing budget. So these marketing people are just tossing money out at people <laughs> being like, do this, do this, do this. And so like, a lot of times that's what will end up happening is like a hundred thousand dollars to Barbasol is probably nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're, I don't know. I just threw the hundred thousand dollars. I don't know what the deal was, but in the grand scheme of things, as far as their marketing concern, it's probably absolutely nothing. So if they just feel like, Hey, we really liked how you guys portrayed us as a brand. We really liked the, the comments that we we're seeing from social media or whatever. We'd love to continue to build this relationship. I think that's going to be huge for disc golf moving forward. It's just is attaching the name to a couple companies that really, really like it and uh, continue to kind of move forward. Yeah, and I know I we know talked though. with... At the end of the day, I don't know. I mean, we talked with Sean Jack two or three weeks ago who does all the marketing for the... Or not the marketing. He's like the advertising sales and such for yeah. the Pro Tour. Um, and he was saying how Barbasol contacted him and they did like it. They did like what we were doing with with uh the integration and the close shave shot of the day and whatever we were that's kind great of, kind of, that, kind of I thought that was fantastic pleased is yeah. is kind of the you know so, the, the quick but but follow I, back. but i think you're right we'll see what really happens next year because we saw a guarantee rate mortgage vanish they're gone you know yeah. they, they, they were the pro tour sponsor there was another big sponsor that first year as well that 
just never showed back up. And that could just be it just didn't fit. It wasn't right. There's, you know, there's, there's well, a lot of different reasons or but I mean, or market. The market's different now for mortgages than it was, you know, a year yeah. or two. Ago. Yeah. Things like that change. The, so to kind of pull the curtain back too for people listening that maybe don't know too much about how like the social media marketing, all that stuff goes. And I'm assuming it's similar to like what I deal with is probably similar to what the disc golf pro tour deals with, with their sales is at the end of the day, like, um, I just lost my train of thought. Okay. Yeah. Back. Okay. If, if a company, you know, there are these like big, big networks, right. To where, a company will have, let's say, $100,000. And again, $100,000 to them is nothing. So they're going to sprinkle $100,000 on YouTube. Instead of maybe putting all their eggs in one basket and doing $100,000 with one YouTube creator, they find a network. And they go to the network and they give the network $100,000. And then that network spreads it amongst their creators. And now you have seven or eight creators that are all making content based off of this new product that's about to launch. And now that's the nice sprinkle that they wanted on social media. When it comes to like events though, like, and this is what I saw a lot as an influencer is depending on what it is. So like I did something with like Visa and the Super Bowl. that kind of like the, how much Visa was involved on that was so much heavier and so much like more meetings, more like, having people on the ground from Visa, like it was very, they were very involved with that integration versus I've done stuff where they're just like, Hey, post, post whatever. And I'm like, Oh, you, I can just do whatever I want. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do, do whatever. And we'll send the check. And I think right now I could be wrong, but I think that's kind of where we are a little bit for Barbasol, right? Like, I don't know how involved they were, but my guess is they probably didn't have anyone on the ground, like at the site. Um, my guess is they probably had a couple meetings maybe leading up to it. But a lot of times, I think something sometimes what's holding back some of these companies is like it's not worth their time. Like if they if they're going to put money towards something, they want to make sure they're hands on and make sure like it runs well and their brand isn't. Uh, you know, their logo isn't half covered out on the course right here. And this isn't, they want to make sure that's all hands on. And like to them, throwing a hundred thousand dollars at an event is not big enough because they're doing $15 million events or they're doing $10 million integrations. So I think right now we might be in the realm and I could be wrong. You guys might have more information on this than I do, but my guess is, how how it's working is probably similar to how they kind of handle with a lot of social influencers is they just kind of like work you through, you figure out a product and they're like, all right, go and do it. It's fine. And I think the big breakthrough is potentially having like a sponsor come in and be like, no, we're going to have people on the ground. We're going to make sure these signs are here and this. And then all of a sudden you have now the sponsor, not just throwing money at the event, but they're also bringing manpower and they're bringing a bunch of other stuff that's going to make the event kind of more elevated. I could be completely wrong, yeah, I, well, but what, what, I think you're right, honestly. Well, and I, th- I think there's somewhere in between you saying that needs to happen and it kind of happening. And that, again, insert Sean Jack, he that's essentially his role is saying, hey, uh, uh, Canna, 
Hannah, how are we going to integrate you, you know, into our broadcast? Is it, you know, obviously right now we have the Canna current conditions. Sunstein has their patented moments. Those are conversations that take place. And I think as the tour gets bigger and as we all get more comfortable, it will be a matter of building out those integrations so they're they're seamless and so mm-hmm. that they're natural. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. I mean, we have these integrations built in. It's just a matter of how natural are they. And and um, my, you know. my my yeah, my point I think was more. And this could be a completely terrible idea. I'm just I just thought of this right now, and I'm just spinning out. But like my point would be like Barbasol hiring a professional barber. They they build out a full tent of sure. Barbasol with cans and everything, and you can literally when you're on the grounds of the Tour Championship you can come in and get a professional barber's shave mm-hmm. right there on the course. Like that's something that sure the pro tour can like pitch, but like Barbersaw is going to be like, that sounds amazing. Go for it. Versus Barbersaw saying like their team being like, we want to have this mm-hmm. integration at the course and them taking the reins and setting it all up. And the pro tour can kind of sit back. And, and be like, we're bringing the fans, we're bringing the people to you. And Barbersaw is kind of doing all the legwork. Because again, like, if you haven't been on tour and you haven't gone out to these events early, the amount of stuff that the, the staff has to do week in, week out to get these tournaments set up is, and again, like, yes, have I complained sometimes about them not having water on the course and like signage not being up? Sure, I'm, I'm a selfish pro just like everyone else on tour. But when you sit back and really think about like what the tour staff is able to accomplish week in, week out, it's extremely impressive to see the amount of... The, the, I mean, just even like... Even just putting the, 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 uh, the signage on the bands, on baskets, like that takes time. And like there's a right way of doing it and there's a wrong way of doing it. Unfortunately, like Champions Cup, we saw some like where it was kind of wrong because it wasn't like always filled, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But my point being is like to add extra stuff to the plate of these of these uh you know people that are already putting in ridiculous hours to make sure the tournament is set up in the way for the players and the fans and stuff, to think that they have extra time to do stuff, I, I don't I don't see it happening. So that's where it's like it, it's gonna be I will say lovely for everyone involved when someone outside comes in and says like, we want to elevate this event and we want to help it make it even better. And they're willing to put not just the money behind it, but also the people. Yeah. yeah because there's the event and then there's the broadcast. And those are two separate things. I mean, they, they're combined, but like ter- what Terry was talking about was more broadcast related. Yeah. And I think what you guys did on the broadcast, I mean, I think that was incredible. But, I thought the commercial that they, I don't know if they, made that specifically for the disc golf pro tour broad uh, the disc golf network broadcast or if that's just a commercial that they've had um but i thought the commercial was incredibly well done and i thought all the integration that you guys did uh with the close shave shot and all that stuff i thought that was really really well done too so yeah, like this kind of piggybacks and we'll put it to bed then but this piggybacks i i was on the pdga podcast which i think comes out tomorrow no already uh, came out uh, oh, Came out okay. today. today. Oh, good. I'm, I'm on that. Yeah. So, but one <laughs> of the things I did say, though, was just talking about just event sponsors in general. I personally, and I said, I'm over the idea of somebody coming to me and saying, hey, will you give us 50 bucks? We're going to put your name on the back of the shirt or we're going to put you on a T sign. I said, I think all tournament directors, myself included, has to do something what you're saying, which is reverse engineer it. Rather than having just a platform of here's a bunch of opportunities for you and what you could do. 
go to the sponsor and have and ask the sponsor how do you see your your money stretching the most? How do you get most value out of it? Because I can put you in a program, I can put you on the website, I can put you on the back of a t-shirt, and I can put you on a T-sign. That might not appeal. Some people might be, heck yeah, sign me up, I'll take it. And other companies might look at that and be like, no, none of those like scratch my itch. Let's let's do something else. What if we brought in a you know an entire you know barber chair uh, you know experience or whatever? I think tournaments. I'm starting to like that idea more and more. By it. the way, I'm really I'm really starting to like that idea. The more you say it, yeah. If it just, happens next year, I would love to see it. Yeah, I I know there was talk about <laughs> other ways to do that, and, and then we've seen barbers, other barbers that have had integration on the tour and. Just to think that yeah. that's a whole other uh, realm of possibilities of, you know, having an official barber on the tour of some kind. Like, it's it's amazing where we're going. And I said it earlier, we're all in a pretty damn good place. Disc golf's not perfect, but boy, it is. It's exciting and it's it's trending in the right direction. Yeah, it's crazy to see just from the three years I've been in it. It's crazy to see kind of where it was to where it is now. Um, especially just on the like, the actual event itself. I think tournaments and organizers and the local community and everyone involved is starting to get that, yeah, disc golf is exciting. Disc golf is fun to watch live, but we need to make something to where like you can bring the family, you can bring people that only want to watch disc golf for an hour and then go and do something else and then come back and watch more disc golf. Like it can't just be... The, you know, one of the first tournaments I went to was the Memorial. And it literally, like, if you just took a step back and, like, kind of looked like drone footage of what was going on at this event, it was literally just four people throwing discs around a park and a group of people just following. That was the event you were going to. There was nothing really else that made it feel anything different than the next day when you just have a bunch of, you know, senior citizens walking around the park. Like, it was... it. There was no difference. And I think you're starting to see now signage. You're starting to see now just like small things, just like literally a little a little piece of rope that just makes a barrier between the course and the fans. Like that goes such a long way from someone just stepping out there and being like, oh, wow, like they kind of have this thing figured out. So, yeah, I've been, I've been very pleasantly um, happy with all the changes moving forward. And I'm sure next year they're going to blow us blow us out of the way to uh, blow last year out of the way uh, with the continued improvements um, moving forward at these tournaments. Yeah, there's there's a lot we can all sit and like you said, selfishly or otherwise, we can all sit and get nitpicky about. And clearly, not everything is yep. perfect, and we're always going to continue to have these various growing pains. But uh, for the by and large, especially if you're old school uh, like Johnny and I, and you've seen this very slow, it was it was the slow progression, slow but steady and methodical progression for 20 years, and then we just took off like a rocket ship in the last two or three years, and now we're you know kind of just trying to find our way, uh, you know, after that explosion, and it's uh, it's been incredible, so. All right, Brody. Uh, oh man. no, I have no. I but what, you got more. I got one more. Oh, I got geez. the important. I got no. I have literally the important question. Um, we yeah. have. It's as they say. It's it's silly season. It's hot stove. It's they say silly season. They do. They, a lot of people say silly season, Terry. I've never heard that. Um, what? What's your status? Discraft currently. 
Are, are you looking at next year? What what are you? Are you in a contract? Are you extending yeah. a contract? What do you got? Where where does where does Brody fit in next year? Well, I feel like I've thrown out a lot of like future predictions, so I'll throw another future prediction out. There will be something exciting coming in the near future. <laughs> That's generic because you could be like, "Oh, it's exciting! I'm signing for ten more years." Or well, that would be exciting. I'm going to. I'm just saying it's it's. It's it's safe and generic, but if that's what you're going to give us, we'll take it. I guess <laughs> that's, that's what I got. That's that's what, that's what I got for you for right now. Unfortunately, sorry, not uh, not, uh, not probably the answer you are, wanted. But to be clear, are you are is are do you have a contract through a certain time or year as of right now? Yeah, up until December 31st, I believe okay. is the last. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, are we going to see? <laughs> yep. Now, Are you trying to rephrase the question? No. Well, maybe a little bit. Are we going to see a either Foundation or Dark Horse exclusive line of discs? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, well, I bet I bet some people out there would love that. I'm sure some um, people would. Here's the thing. Here's the thing I'll say with, with manufacturing, right? Like manufacturing discs is like a very, it's a very scary thing to think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. because in the back of your head, like there, you there guys could have... be someone, there could be someone that just says, you know what? Let's dabble in disc golf and just see. And they come in and like, you know, start selling discs that fly really good for $12. I mean, we've always I'm, joked that like Nike, and we always just use Nike because it's, you know, the most distinguishable or sports well, brand yeah, brand in the world. Nike yeah. could come in and could conceivably overshadow every disc golf manufacturer combined, you know, with it, with the, they, they get the right couple of people in R&D, and clearly they have the resources for it. Nike tomorrow... They sponsor a couple people. It's a write-off for them, practically, the the amount that they could... come in and and produce, you know, uh, 100 million discs. Like, and may or may not be good, but they could definitely get into it tomorrow. Like, it's no big deal. Is that a a prediction that you think something like that might happen? Is that what you... It's not necessarily no. Like I've made predictions tonight, and I feel pretty good about those predictions. That's not <laughs> like I would not bet any money that that would actually ever happen. Could it happen? Sure, but like coming from a business owner myself, right? Like I own two disc golf companies myself. Mm-hmm. Like my focus right now is three things, right? Trying to trying to win, and then trying to continue to grow those two companies and continue to have hire more employees that can say like, I work for a disc golf company. Like my job is literally centered around disc golf. I think that's super cool, especially for people. Like we do have a couple people that disc golf isn't like as important to them in their life as others people in our businesses. But for the most part, like everyone that we hire loves disc golf. And so for them to be able to center around a disc golf company, I think that's pretty cool. So like, that's my focus. And to think like, I mean, just throwing out numbers right now, like to, to, to actually have like a competitive manufacturing company. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about 
probably at least a couple seven figures to just jump in and like be competitive. Mm -hmm. Like, do I want to do that and have it like blow up in my face? Probably not. (laughs) Like that, (laughs) like probably not. Like, would it be exciting to, to like, I don't know. Like, I mean, the thing is like my relationship with Discraft the last three years have been, has been incredible. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like we've been able to do a lot of really, really cool things together. And you know, I think that isn't – it'd be different if I felt like I was handcuffed, I guess, with with a, with a manufacturer, right? And I felt like, well, I could be doing way more than I currently am doing. I'm just like being handcuffed and I'm not able to do the stuff that I want to do. Um, that would be different. I don't have that situation. Uh, and so I think that makes my decision to like not want to go that route a lot easier. And and from a foundation standpoint, right? Like I think, you know, we're kind of getting a little off topic, but this is a fun topic to talk about. Like infinite, like I don't know how infinite is doing what they're doing. If I'm just being completely blunt, I don't know how they can be a retailer, but also make their own discs, but not be a competitor. And this, this is my theory. I think their account is so big with these manufacturers that the manufacturers like we can't lose them as an account. But like they are a competitor. Like you don't see Discraft sending Innova discs to sell, and you don't see Innova sending Discraft discs to sell. We have seen Latitude sent. You see Latitude producing uh, discs right in their factory that are are dynamics and that are castaplast and that are uh kind of just yeah there's some weird there's some weird stuff going on (laughs) there is now now, do we know does latitude have like percent company owner like do we know any of that do we know is that on the books anywhere of like uh, are they somewhat owning some of Castaplast, or they somewhat have an ownership in some of these other Castaplast, i believe they do i think they bought a percentage ownership in Castaplast. But that other than sense. that, I mean, I think now, obviously we don't know now. And, and Latitude's funny because they just got bought out by a, by a, uh, a larger, a, yeah. a larger investment, firm. investment firm. Thank you. And, and so I would imagine that they kind of have almost two separate businesses. They've got a manufacturing business and they've got a disc golf business and the disc golf business buys from the manufacturing business. And guess what? DD buys from the manufacturing dis- business. And guess what? Uh, you know, Castaplast or whoever else buys Latitude Plastic, Latitude, Latitude, I'll put in quotes, like that manufacturing area, that those plastics, they, they all get it. I mean, DGA buys their discs from Discraft. It's all Discraft mm-hmm. stuff. You know, uh, 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 Millennium got all their stuff from Innova. Like it's, we have had such a funny uh, growth in our sport and just this weird, like there is only so many people that had these machines and so if you wanted to have yep. a disc made, you had more or less, you had to go to one of the experts. And the, for a while, there was like four companies that had that. It was like Whammo, uh, Gateway, Innova, and Discraft. Like that's what you had. And now we've got more. Legacy has disc, you know, MVP is do doing you think, thing. It's, it's interesting. Do you think Discraft, do you think Discraft, because all the companies you just basically said are way bigger than the company they're making discs for, Right. Like mm-hmm. all the the only one that might be close, but I don't think so. I think Latitude's way bigger than Dismania. But 
everything you just said, like what happens if all of a sudden DGA becomes massive? Because again, like Discraft technically, right? Discraft, DGA, uh, Innova Millennium, uh, Dismania. I mean, there's a reason why Dismania, right? There's a reason why like they don't really have that many discs made. Because they're not making their own discs. Well, right? Dismania like, is interesting because they bought like a, a a warehouse right next door to Latitude, okay. and they have their own machines now in their own warehouse that is strictly Discmania. But it's okay. So maybe they're bad. Ex- maybe they're a bad example. Like, but like, well, they they went to Latitude because Innova right. wasn't making enough discs for them. Yeah. They, yeah. They, and, they and, but like, priorities. wouldn't wouldn't that make sense? Like, wouldn't Discraft not want to make more DGA discs than Discraft discs? At a certain like, you're basically stunt. If I'm DGA, like you're basically stunting my growth, right? Like, but at the same, like I don't know. It's it's we talked about it. It's weird. It's interesting. Yeah. My thing is like, I think going back to like the infinite thing, right? It's just I think at a certain point, someone I don't know who someone's going to put their foot down and say, "Hey, we've been playing super nice." for like a really long time with everyone, we're not going to play nice anymore. And it hasn't happened yet. I, I haven't seen it. It seems like most of the disc manufacturing companies kind of play nice with one another and they all kind of whatever. But like as disc golf grows, there eventually will become a time where someone's going to be like, we can capitalize on this. And why should we help out other companies? I don't know. Again, well, I, like, I, I, it just, I have... It, <laughs> I've said for decades, if if Dave Dunapace was sitting at his office tomorrow morning and he's like, Eureka, hello, I've got it. And he comes up with the greatest mold of all time, the best driver that's guaranteed to blow every record away. He wasn't, he's not likely calling up Millennium and being, hey guys, no. I did it. I found this one for you. Let's, let's run it in for you tomorrow. Yeah, at a certain point, these people that are that are producing the plastics, that are making the molds and developing them, uh, at a certain point, you have to feel like they kind of hold the ultimate power uh, for that exact reason. I same thing at Discraft. I can't imagine Bob Julio's like, man, I just great, designed the greatest mid range of all time. Let me get Scott Kesey on the line and see if he wants it. <laughs> like it's just. Not likely going to happen, in my opinion. Now, I've also talked to Tomas over Thomas over at Latitude, and you know he he's he's a mad scientist of sorts, and some people are coming to him, and and it, it depends on what your your altruistic vision is. You know, do you care that you're about to give a great mold to somebody? Is is Rusco if they, if they calling paid, if, up? If, if Rusco calls him and says, hey, we want Here's the specs, now make this, that's a different story. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 a very interesting yeah. uh, and I'm but glad it, like, to have had some of the conversations I've had. But if Foundation reached out to we'll just say Discraft and said, we we want three discs unique to us. It, it they are they're going to be they're going to be Foundation would hate discs. That. What was that? Innova would hate that, right? Well, Latitude would hate that. Like, if, don't you think? If like, hate, why, why hate? No, that? Why, no, why no. would they hate? No, because you're a reseller. Look at, I mean, you're you're not much other than the size. My, my understanding, Foundation isn't much different than Infinite. Like, you could reach. No, the only them. difference is we don't we don't make our own discs. Though. Yeah, so we're we're technically they don't, they don't make not their own discs a competitor. Either. 
infinite. Yeah, they have kind they, of. They, yeah, they, I mean, they I guess... have molds. They have molds that technically probably Innova owns. Is that the? I guess is that the yeah. big? Because I was just thinking too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. Stay with me here because this is going to be a little confusing at the beginning. When you go down the grocery aisle and you're looking at cereals, right? You have Kellogg's, you have Post, you have all the big brands, but then you also have like the grocery brand. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the grocery brand, if I remember correctly, someone told me like the grocery, grocery brand, I always thought the grocery brand made that. The grocery brand is not like Kroger, Publix, HEB, whatever you go to, they're, they're, they don't have a manufacturing thing where they're making these cheaper Lucky Charms. Like they're getting that from these other companies that are just making a cheaper product mm-hmm. for the group, I, I believe, right? Is that probably? I, I, that, that sounds right. And then just branding like it. The, that sounds right. right. I because how how if you walk into a Publix, Publix has a branded version of yeah. everything. Like how is that even possible, right? Yeah. So that is kind of, I guess, what you're saying is what Infinite's doing, right? They're not technically making it; they're just rebranding it as theirs. So maybe that is okay. So I guess the difference is all of a sudden Infinite starts rolling in manufacturing uh, uh, machines and now they actually are making theirs. Now that's probably where things get gray areas. Is, is that what we're thinking? Yeah. The fact that they're not technically making them themselves is no one's upset with it. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I mean, that's kind of what the what's, what happened with Discmania. Like, as we said, Innova owned all the molds. They didn't own the names but they owned the actual mold. So like when you wanted a, 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 a let's say a P2, which we have here or whatever, I'm just going to make that up. But uh, you know, when, when they left and they said, see, see, we're splitting with Innova. Innova says, cool. Thanks for the mold. But the mm. P2 belongs, the P2 name belongs to whatever. So then it's when Discmania opened their own manufacturing, worked with Latitude who, who had the, the expertise. Now, and again, you know, that's however it works there. But but yeah, I mean, technically, Foundation could probably go to Discraft and say, "Cool, we want to buy, we want three molds." And now, however, you work that out with Discraft or 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 Innova or Legacy or whoever you go you you would go through, you would say there would have to be some discussions because you know, do you own the mold? Do you own the you know, or do they make the mold and own the mold? You know, because those molds are expensive. Those molds are like yeah, yeah, tens of thousands of dollars. It gets- it's it's very weird. But but yeah, it you gets, pay it gets yeah, it gets dicey too, right? Because like Discraft, they want to make not only their customers happy, but they also want to make their clients, which are the retailers, also happy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess that's where it gets a little dicey, is because like with Infinite, there isn't really someone that is like connected to Infinite as I'm connected to a foundation, so. I could see how other retailers, maybe not other manufacturers, but I could see how other retailers might be upset because the only way to get a dark horse buzz is on foundation. And they're like, well, we don't have the option of getting a dark horse buzz. We want to get a dark horse buzz. It'd be the same thing as like, if the only way to buy Ledgestone. All like, the all the all the specific ledgestone discs. Yeah, that there's they make. a lot of people that are frustrated, and I'm good friends with Nate. But there's a lot of people that are frustrated that ledgestone gets a large amount of of uh, machine time dedicated to hundreds of thousands of ledgestone discs 
that then are exclusive to Ledgestone and can only then be bought from Nate specifically, but then Nate's mm-hmm. turning around and doing all the other things he is. We, you, you, again, <laughs> there's pros and cons to all of this, and everyone's got yeah. their side or angle, and if, if you want to be mad, there's somewhere to be mad at, I guarantee you, and I, I've probably heard it or said it all myself. It's just a matter of like what you know, what side do you fall on and how mad are you going to be about it? Is it in your favor or not? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just fair. It's, That's a Ledgestone uh, conversation yeah. right there. Like, can, can foundation buy the, uh, the infinite discs or is infinite the only one that sells the infinite discs? See, so you, no, we, we, we could, but buy them from them, but why would we? Yeah. Right. Cause like, to us, like again, well, like that's you just buy them at whole. I didn't know if you buy them at wholesale or. Yeah, or, you can. Can you? Okay. I think we'd buy. I, I think we'd I, I buy them at. Yeah, I believe we'd probably buy them at wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like from my standpoint, like I'm just trying to, and I could be wrong. I could be way off here, and people would be like, "That's stupid business. That doesn't make sense." The way I look at it is like, why would McDonald's ever buy a Whopper from Burger King to sell? That's the way I'm viewing this, mm-hmm. right? Like, why why would Foundation buy a disc from that Infinite makes to then sell? Uh, I yeah, could be wrong. Not. I could be an. No, I mean, I could if, I could if, be if an idiot, a, and people well, would be it like, depends. Yeah. It depends if yeah. if you're concerned about lead, or I'm sorry, about uh, Infinite Foundation. If Foundation's not making discs, and let's just say you're buying an Infinite disc at a wholesale price and you're buying it at the exact same price you'd buy a Discraft disc and you'd buy an Innova disc and mm-hmm. you'd buy a DGA disc who cares if your markup and your margins are the same then who cares if it's going to still sell the- unless you're making your own discs and you're trying to actively push and I mean well, this is kind of the entire this- dynamic disc Discraft conversation from many years ago oh yeah dynamic discs I- used to just make apparel and when they started making and selling their own disc, Discraft, understandably, was like, well, we, you have your own disc now. We're no longer going to sell you. And then Dynamic went to exclusively being a, you know, the Trilogy brands. And Dyna- that's why you can't go into Dynamic Disc Store, right, in Emporia, Kansas, and find yourself uh, a, a, a Wraith or a Buzz. They only sell yeah. their brand. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I would say that might be differently, and th- again, this might be... We might be making a bad mistake here, and people might say, "Like what you're doing is stupid business, Brody. You need to be you need to be buying all these infinite discs." Like when we buy discs, we promote those discs, right? We don't just assume that the manufacturers are going to promote the discs for us and tell people to go buy them on Foundation. So we then have to go out and promote the disc on our social platforms to help sell the disc. So like the way I view it is like, why in the world would I want to promote a disc when in fact I'm kind of also promoting that other retailer, right? Like, and again, Ledstone's a little bit different, right? It's a little bit different because they only do Discraft. They, and, and, you know, in Discraft's eyes and maybe even our eyes, they're not really a competitor as much because they only do a specific brand. They almost are kind of a branch off of Discraft versus being like an infinite or uh, an OTB or whatnot. But like that, I guess that's my mindset of like why we don't purchase infinite discs or if OTB made a disc or if any other retailer made a disc, 
why we wouldn't probably purchase it and then try to sell it is because again, we would be doing promotion to their disc. And, you know, we want the other retailers that we have, we want their disc to kind of move versus, or not other retailers, sorry, the other manufacturer discs that, that we have, we want those to move, not necessarily another retailer's disc to move. But yeah, it I, is all very interesting. Yeah, it no, is, I, it I, is. I can totally understand how you how Foundation would not want to promote another retailer. That makes 100% sense to me. I, I'm, But, you know... Legacy or DD or things like that. Those those are companies. I mean, everybody has their own store. Honestly, you can go to Discraft mm-hmm. store, you can go to Innova store, you can go to DD store right to their website. So no matter what you do, if if you guys are throwing discs at pumpkins again or whatever they were doing, you know, I think it's kind of. I think you're, you're still kind of promoting the other companies and their store, but it's, but I think it's different though, right? Because like the yeah. reason why retailers work is. You know, for example, if you want to buy Get Freaky, you know, you can go to Discraft and buy Get Freaky. You won't have any idea what color it is. You won't know what weight it is. You won't know what stamp it is. And honestly, you might not even know when it will get to you. If you buy one on Foundation, you can pick the color, you can pick the stamp, you can pick the weight, and you're going to get a notification the next day that, oh, it's going to be here in two days. Like right now, the way that a lot of manufacturers work, they just can't. And, and this, this is across the board in a lot of other businesses, right? Like the reason why retailers work is they can just put their, you know, they're not having to, build the, to put the money and the manpower to actually make the product. So they can put a lot more behind the promotion, the shipping and doing all that stuff. And that's why they kind of have like that, a good relationship between the two. And a lot of people too, they might want to buy a Wraith with a Get Freaky. You can't, you know, now I'm going to go to Discraft and buy a Get Freaky, and then I'm going to go to Innova and buy a Wraith. I'm being, paying for shipping twice. Like, why don't I just go to this retailer and do, do buy both at the same time? So, like, I also see that. And then also, too, like, who knows? Maybe we, we'll start seeing more of what, like, Emporia has with Dynamic Discs. And, you know, I don't know if Discraft ha- – I don't think they actually have a store in – in Wixom, no, uh, no, not, not, a, not, not a physical. Not their yeah. own. Yeah, they don't have. Store. Maybe we'll start seeing stuff like that. I mean, that would be dope if like Discraft just had a store in, uh, in Dallas. It'd probably do really freaking well. Honestly, people like going in and touching plastic and feeling it and all that stuff. But like the, again, the question is like, do they want to be putting money into that right now, or do they want to be putting money into like making more discs? getting them out faster, all that stuff. So I don't know. It's it's very interesting. And a lot of disc golf business, I guess, I have questions, I guess, more than answers <laughs> Sure, for a lot of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been fun, obviously, kind of getting my, my feet wet in it a little bit and, and kind of seeing what happens and, uh, you know, obviously trying to mix it up. I think that's that's huge, right? Like having... When you see innovation, and this is what stuff I think in any kind of business industry, when you have other people doing different things to kind of mix it up, ultimately at the end of the day, that kind of makes it beneficial for the user. Like, I don't know if you guys just saw, but like Apple's changing their freaking uh, charging port again. Going to well, USB, they're they're oh, they're they're kind of being forced to go to USB C yeah, because that's, that's of the European to, Union exactly. says that they want a universal 
charging cord. So Apple has USB-C iPads, but they've never had USB-C iPhones. So they're going to kind of do USB-C iPhones, I think. And yeah, 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 it's. But like when they changed it initially, like was that all because like they were like, whoa, if we change this, then we can all of a sudden just make a lot of people have to buy new because all their old stuff doesn't. Like, was that a plan? Like, I don't know. Some of it, I'm sure. I think there's a huge proprietary uh, component to Apple always trying to extract the most amount of money out of people. The technology might be great as well. Yeah, I mean, there there was (laughs) there was a reason for the lightning cable. But, Are you guys on the conspiracy theory that when like a new iPhone comes out, they like send something out to all the old iPhones <laughs> to slow them down? I, I, I you am guys, not. You're not on that. <laughs> I am not on that personally. I've had an iPhone for years and years. My son still uses my old iPhone. I haven't in the okay. last four or five years. I haven't noticed them getting significantly slower. But like okay. l- the Lightning <laughs> cable made sense because it, it was it was an upgrade to what micro usb was because yeah. it went both ways and it was a faster data transfer and this and that and it, yeah it was a big pain in the butt because everyone had micro usb you know everybody all, everyone's phone had that stupid plug that only went in one way and apple was like <laughs> yeah. oh how about this and then USB-C came along and said hey that's a damn good idea and now apple's going to be forced to put USB-C in which i'm I, I don't know how i feel about that because just like in any other business Cool, USB-C is great now, but what happens in two to three years when Apple says, we've got a faster port, we've got a faster cable, it, it'll, you know, you can plug it in and guess what? It does this and this and we we don't want to use USB-C because it's an inferior product. Right now, the European Union, is much, that's going to be a problem in a couple of years. It, I don't know where it's going to go. I understand the concept of one cable will work. You'll have less, maybe less garbage uh, I, I don't know We're, this is a whole other discussion yeah, just well, you just, you just tweaked my tech terry, brain and then i'm just like running terry, and I, and terry, I, also, terry doesn't care because when i texted him it came up green so i know he doesn't care because he doesn't even have an iphone you yeah. got it i i am staunchly opposed <laughs> to uh apple uh products and phones uh for lots of different reasons where's the headphone jack on your phone terry yeah anyway oh, doesn't have one uh but you can see how like my my point being like if yeah. you are this Apple person like I am right like I I have a Mac I have an iPhone it just makes sense it'd be very difficult for me to all of a sudden just jump on the Samsung like I'm kind of at Apple's like yeah whatever they do it's just like I have to deal with it and I think not having that in disc golf is a good thing like having it to where other you can you can bounce around to other companies if someone does something that you don't like. There's another company that you can bounce to, or if someone all of a sudden innovates and does something crazy, you can change and go that way. Like I just I use that example because I don't care how good of a Samsung camera comes out or how much storage or battery, like I'm sticking with Apple and I'm stuck with you. it. They've got you stuck. They got me. They got me locked yeah. in. I'm yeah. locked You're in. I can't system. get out. I, I, I'm with you. I love, I love a lot. I've got an iPhone. I used to have a Mac. I use a PC now for other reasons. Like there are certain things that they lock you into. It would take something phenomenal for me to change. Like if Samsung yeah. came out with like a tiny phone that was this big, but it folded out to be a full tablet or something crazy. Like I'd be like, wow, that's awesome. Maybe I'll switch over to that. But until something phenomenal comes out, even if Apple's isn't the best, I'm sticking with my iPhone just the way it is. Like, why do I care about the green text? Why do I care about it? I care about it so much. You shouldn't. I shouldn't. It shouldn't. 
It, there's there's <laughs> nothing to it, but I care I care about it so much, and I don't know why they have me. I, I mean, Apple is status and capitalism. It's, it's, that's and and, that's, and, 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 Apple, and Apple is staunchly opposed to the new RCS standard that Google's trying to implement, and Apple will <laughs> refuse to go with it. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's trust me. It's it's a whole other thing. I mean, it's literally text messages are still SMS, and they shouldn't be anymore. There's better products, but there are standards, competing standards. And again, I'm I'm a tech guy. I listen to a lot of tech podcasts. That's my life. I do it. Apple can be an Apple can be a total asshole. They oh, can just yeah. and they and they own and all their users. they can <laughs> and, and, and and they own a por- a, a good portion of the 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 market. Like and it's it's tough, man. You're right. You shouldn't care about green versus blue bubbles. But we do. I don't see any don't, stupid but... bubble, and I don't care. That, that's how I feel about <laughs> it. Well, you want to see how yours I mean, come out? I don't give. I don't care. It's the uh, it's. I mean, it's the same thing in disc golf, right? Like you shouldn't care about a halo. But people yeah. do, see, right? Like you should... green. <laughs> yeah, it's so ugly. It's so it ugly. is green. Is so and ugly. You, and you don't you don't think that's on purpose? You don't think Apple? Do... I'm sure they do. I'm sure there's a UI decision. Oh, 100%. That, like I should be able to change the color of, of the bubbles. Why not? But no, Apple's like no, that we want them different. So you know yep. that you're not talking to someone. You know, Ooh, it's yeah. yeah. You're not. You don't. I, I mean, I judged <laughs> you immediately when you text as you should. Uh, that, as yeah, you I should. <laughs> Another one of those sheep using Apple. Go figure. So, uh, one of those uppity oh, overpriced sheep. Uh, oh, yeah. His, the thing is that his phone isn't any more expensive than your phone, probably. Oh, uh, no, it's not. But, but in general, yeah. Pixel, uh, Google, Google owns me. Google owns us all. And just, That's not, just yeah. finally, you know. Re- they know what we're all doing anyway. They don't exactly. care. All right, bro. Sorry, last thing. No, I got go go for it. One we're last not, thing. We're in no hurry. Last thing. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I mean, Kelsey's been passed out for two hours, so I, I don't have anything <laughs> going on. Um, we came back from Mexico, and it's been a while since I've gone through like customs. I mean, because mm. I think when Finland, it was different or something. I don't know. But we came back, and like I went to like hand them my passport. And they're like, oh, no, 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 just stand there. I'm like, okay, all right. And they, he just took this crappy Lojo, you know, the same. I signed up for a membership at a gym. The same exact little crappy camera, Logo Tech or whatever. Yeah, yep. yeah Logitech. <laughs> and he just held it up there. And it was like, all right, Broderick Smith, uh, we got you here, blah, blah, blah. And he started rattling off all this information. And we're, like, Kelsey's like, wait, is that like face identification? She's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, what? And like... All of a sudden, you start looking up. You see all these camps. We're like, they're just they're tracking. Who knows what they're tracking? True. Like, now, now, real quick, crappy though, camera. Did you, go ahead, yeah, go you ahead. Did, did you sign up for global entry? No. I okay. So here's the thing. Kelsey did. I'm expired, so I don't have global entry. Huh? Because I, I I I will just say this one last time for now. Yeah, Mr. Global entry, elitist traveler. Yeah, global <laughs> entry. I came back from both uh, from both Finland and Sweden this year. I wa- and I I put it on uh, Instagram. I walked past hundreds of oh, people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In yeah, yeah. Chicago, oh, I, I walked right past why... them. Walked right out. Get global oh, no, entry, no. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we. So that that was the whole. I thought you were saying. Because we had global entry, that's why they. Could that do that was my yeah. That would have been my guess. No, but I don't. I my, I was canceled, and I actually had just in the line because we were waiting in line for I don't know how long. Because 
I was like, I need to, I need to get this appointment. I need to get global entry again. This mm-hmm. is trash. <laughs> so I signed up and literally when the guy scanned me, he's like, Oh, uh, how much time do you have now? We're like, you got nothing. He's like, Oh, if you want to do your appointment now and not wait, you can just go down and, and have it set up right now. I was like, Oh, okay, sweet. But like, that's just like, that blew my mind to where it's like, what else do they know? Like if they can just Everything. use a crappy little camera like that, like, mm-hmm. What are these casinos? I mean, I was just in Vegas. What are these casinos doing? Like, they have to have – I mean, you look at Disney too. Like, Disney, they want you to get all that uh, – you know, when you go to Disney, you can get like a Disney card now to do mm-hmm. all your purchases and all that stuff so they can track exactly what you're doing so they know exactly like, oh, we need to put a restroom here. We need to put this food place here. We need to do – I mean, it is it is getting to the point yeah. where eventually – we might be in Minority Report where you're just walking around <laughs> and you just like – your eyes just look at something and you just bought something. Have you seen those places in the airports oh, yeah. now? All your social where you can just yeah yeah you if you don't think you, that Disney you can just steal you can steal stuff basically in airports <laughs> yeah. where you can just yeah, walk in, in and grab a water bottle and just yep. walk out and it's just charges your you. credit card yep. yeah yeah if yeah. you don't think Disney is what tracking you around their um uh theme parks looking at it with computers and AI seeing oh this is the flow of traffic we should probably put a stand right here and you're you're probably not wrong in that at some point they're going to be able to if they can't already say oh brody smith you were at disney you've been at disney for four and a half hours he probably hasn't eaten we're just going to swing somebody by over there and see if he's hungry for a chorizo like yeah we know he hasn't stopped and purchased anything so he's probably i want to be like the anomaly (laughs) i want to be like the guy that just like good luck they're like they're like this guy's literally just been in the Buzz Lightyear line all day. He just he will not leave this line. He keeps going on the same ride. We have to investigate what this guy is doing. Yeah, but yeah, paramedics it's are it's sent wild. over there. Yeah, then there's a special paramedic that's like trying to look for you by name because they set <laughs> things up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not a big conspiracy theory uh, guy, but there are definitely oh, eyes in the sky everywhere we go now, and well, the, it's, it's only yeah. going to clearly. Well, these aren't conspiracies. These, yeah, these are more these are actual just, things. Happening. These are actual things that are happening. It's just a matter you know? of how much do they scare you or freak you out or worry you. Yeah, I think that's ultimately the question. Last thing I have: How close are we to getting shot link for disc golf? That's what I really want to know. Oh God, I would. That's that, <laughs> that's an entire um trailer on the PGA tour. That's an entire yeah. full trailer. Um and the thing with disc golf, and I've talked to Todd Rainwater who owns the tour. Um he's mm-hmm. he's he wants it. Everybody wants it. The funny thing is our discs are shot tracker would only really or shot tracer, whatever you want to call it, will only work on a very few holes. Like think Ooh. think of how Oh I'm talking about I'm talking about shot link. Oh, shot link which is that is where different, they... which is different than shot tracer. So shot link is the te- is the technology that they can get all like they don't have someone out there. Oh, with uh, going the... with a range finder, seeing how far you're correct. Your They're shooting your ball they with a like, laser. They have like the yeah the technology that knows all the stuff. So like basically all their stats. And I'm saying this because I I said something about the volunteers doing UDISC, and my whole thing was like I think they do a great job, but like. It's not accurate at all. So, like, if someone's like, I'm the best putter on tour, Mm -hmm. no, you're not. Like, you just had a couple tournaments that you maybe had a better – I mean, it's not off that bad. But there's definitely been times where you go back and you look and you're like, I made a 40-footer and they marked it down at 70 feet. You know, it's impossible for them to be great. So, that was what I was saying is, like, is there – like, are we close – like, 
Nah. Is that ever going to work? Or probably not even work in the woods, right? Like that can't it, work in the woods. It would be very difficult to work in the woods because um, I believe golf has more or less like guys that are mounted with lasers that point like, cool. They can tell you exactly how far the ball is from mm-hmm. the hole in, almost instantaneously because they just shoot it bink, and that's all uploaded into a server. And like, and it just, yeah, and everything like everything has like a vir- there's like virtual reality yeah. already of the course. So you exactly. can like pinpoint and I, I don't think we're yeah, anywhere near that. Like again, millions of dollars. But uh, I'll quickly cool. say uh, each golf course is mapped prior to the event with a dib- digital image. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Two locations can be done. The shot. Ah, did we just lose? <laughs> no, did we just lose internet. Just you. It said something or other about the shot link. Uh, it, something to the effect of the site just. Wow, they're watching us because I'm about to talk <laughs> oh, no. about it, and the the site literally just disappeared from my, oh, my browser. No. Um, but it said something about 350 volunteers uh, to make yeah. it happen uh, per weekend. 350 volunteers is what it said uh, to make sure. Yeah, because they work. all have like they they basically yeah. have all these people out with like tablets and all this stuff. And they're I mean, it's I mean, obviously, it's awesome for golf because you can get all those statistics of like, I mean, you can look up right now from 120 yards. What's the average distance a golfer hits to the pin? Yeah. You know, and like, again, going back to you guys doing coverage and stuff, like, I think, Terry, you'd probably love to have those statistics at your whim with a I mean, producer. Heck, heck yeah. I mean, you know, you saying just, in your year, like, it's, yeah. I mean, we're, lim- we're very limited, but like, again, how do you not be limited? We're basically doing mm-hmm. way better than we should be doing already. So it's tough to ask for more. But I think that's one thing that definitely I, – I mentioned a little bit about graphics. I would say that's – now I'm thinking about kind of going full circle. Statistics is something that is lacking from coverage, and it's just like manpower. It's just – it's impossible to get much better at that right now. It's like there's not really someone dropping the ball. It's just manpower and money. Yeah, it's coordinating because like they said here, ShotLink, it's a system operated by a small staff of PDGA Tour employees and a volunteer workforce each week. So like there's 150 volunteers per tournament to score the golf tournament is what it says. That's to score it as well as probably do ShotLink, which is probably a coordinated system on the PGA. which again, which isn't Nuts. even the scoring for the for NBC and other things. A few years ago, we were happy to have 350 people in a gallery, and now <laughs> yeah. we're talking about 350 volunteers to help some scoring. So we're again, we're, but, we're trending in the right direction. Well, like MVP, MVP had like that was the first tournament that we had spotters like in the fairway. So like they were literally, yeah. I don't know, they were literally putting flags in the fairway of your disc. <laughs> so when we were coming up, it wasn't even like you had a kind of search for where your disc in the fairway was. It was just like, bing, bing, bang. Like, I mean, it made it so much smoother, but you know, those are things that, you know, we, yeah. Like well, my first year on tour, we didn't have spotters out there. Yeah. Well, I'll give you another quick example when we're talking about specifics, people like you disc who clearly have helped now get us to where we are with the stats we do have so on and so forth. At a certain point, it was realized, especially for live coverage, this helped drive this bus was that on a hole like a par four or a blind hole, we needed UDISC ultimately developed so that there could be two people scoring on the same hole. And that's when you have somebody on the tee and then somebody in the fairway that's actually 
more clear uh, with more clarity saying, oh, that's circle two or that's circle one. Because you often mm-hmm. used to see as a broadcast announcer like myself, you'd see, oh, Jeremy Colling in, in circle two. And then a moment later, you might see it in circle one. And you're like, OK, it got updated because they walked to the shot. Now, when you're talking about a lead card at a very important event, UDISC has even you know developed the technology so that two people can be logged in and they're working yeah. simultaneously. Because um, the the interim solution to that actually was there would be the guy there would be somebody officially spotting that would be standing there at the basket and they would be on a, a radio back to the person standing on the at uh, the tee of wow and so after a little while of that happening they said you just again worked harder to have it so that two people could be simultaneously doing it so that the the person with the more accurate reading could uh, ultimately put it in first so. Uh, again, a little nuance, but yet so huge and so critical to give us all that information that much quicker and more accurately. It's 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 yeah, and that's driven by the broadcast ultimately, you know, and and the overall uh, media perspective. It's absolutely and if crazy. any you just uh, devs are listening to this, which they do. My only wish, my only wish, is let's get a little bit more specific with the putting. Because I don't know how many 17 footers I heard were made, (laughs) but like, like, I mean, you, again, you guys are just going off the statistics that you have. There are some people, I'm not calling out any names, but there are some people that I don't know if they actually know that you just literally only has like three different distances that putts go in. And so like, literally they just are like, they've made 18 18 footers today. I'm like, sure. no, they have not. No, but those could have been 15. I, I, those could have been 19. Yes. Footers, but the zone yes. gives them an 18 foot or 22 yes. feet or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, sure. Correct. So I think, I think too, just, I think breaking it up instead of like, I would love to see from a player standpoint. And I think fans would love this too. Instead of just seeing me that I was a hundred percent from, or not hundred, let's say like 75% from circle one X or circle one or whatever it is. I would love to see like what percentage I was from 33 to 30 feet. What percentage I was from, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe let's just go 30 to 25 and 25 to 20 and 15 to 10. I would love those numbers. Cause then again, as a broadcaster too, you could say like, he hasn't missed a putt inside of 45 feet versus you saying, He's twenty five percent from circle two. That doesn't really tell the whole story, sure. Because he might he's might have made a whole bunch of forty footers and thirty five footers, but he's missed seven from fifty five. Um, yeah. But just for me, like statistics, I think that would help me too as a player, just kind of looking at like where my trouble areas were. I, I think that it, it, it also really comes there. down to how granular do you want to get? And then are we still going to have the discussion even, even with that new zone, instead of three zones, we have four, maybe we have five. Uh, Are we still going to have the conversation though? That's like, Oh man, that spotter or that, that scorekeeper put me down for a whole bunch of 15 footers that were clearly 18 footers. Like no matter how much you want to get granular, you're still always going to have a little bit of a human error and human judgment factor yeah. that that gets added on well until no what i say until you we are able to literally have a volunteer that's following the group and he's like after you putt or whatever or before you putt like you know you throw the disc up there you're down the fairway it gets up there everyone's walking up the fairway and even if it's inside the They're circle on the green. Well, 
bonk, 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 nailing them yep. and putting that into U-Disc. And we're getting there because we, we've got a volunteer now that is doing that for the pro tour for distances. So we, we've got a guy yep. or, or a girl, whoever it is, that comes through. after. That's a great throws. addition, by the way. And, and, that and, and the miles it. per hour. Yeah. Those two are great additions. Yep, yeah, the miles per hour once in a while, but for sure the distance so that Terry knows, oh yeah, he is, you know, he might be way off to the left, but he's 350 out as opposed to the guy in the fairway who's actually 360 out. So really it should be, you know, it, it should be Brody throwing first and not someone way off there. Do we need more lines too? Do you, do you think that would help? Because right now we really just have 33 feet and then 66 feet, feet. I think after what, that. What do you think? What do you think about a line like at 20 feet and a line at like 45 feet? Too many lines? Uh, we've got the bullseye, so to speak. That's 12 and in. Yeah. I, I'm personally good with it um, where they're at because whether I'm on the ground or, I mean, it's maybe a little bit tougher when I'm watching and I'm calling the shots from, from mm-hmm. afar. But when I'm on the ground, uh, I, you know, okay, that's 18 feet now. Is that I mean, 57 feet or is that 52 feet? I think it's harder though. On, I think it's just harder on on the ground. I would say no, but like on coverage, I think it's more difficult. Some of the some of the yeah. angles that we use mm-hmm. and like oh. the cameras sometimes are a little bit wide. It looks way because like sometimes I'll be like, "Holy crap, that was a huge putt!" And then the person takes like eight paces and gets <laughs> sure. out of the basket. And I was like, "Oh, I was like a twenty-four foot." Yeah, different angles so. definitely make things look way different. And I, I try to as as when I'm switching the show, if I can see that, sometimes they look the same. You're like, ah, it doesn't matter which shot. But if I can see one perspective that looks way different than the other, I try to cut to it for a second, be like, to show that, oh, oh no, like. From yeah. w- when you're behind them, wow, that looks like it's like a 35 footer, and then you get or a 30, we'll say a 32 footer, and then you turn to the side, and you're like, oh god, no, that's like 22 feet. Like that's it, <laughs> yeah. it's so it it can feel so different. I try to do that. You can't always, but that's that's how it, that's kind of how it uh, it goes. Um, I think. Can I ask one more question, the, or do you need to kick? Yeah, me off? No, ahead. keep going, dude. We it's it's Smashbox. Okay. We keep going. <laughs> I, I want to. I'm, I'm going to hear this from both of you guys. Why do Why do you cut a shot mid-flight to the uh, catch cam? Okay. I, I'll. Uh, well, Johnny's the one pressing the button, so I'll answer it from my perspective first. Um, uh, which is funny to do because I know some of his logic uh, and I have to edit, throw and catch in post-production myself sometimes. Um, I, I'm a big fan personally, and I'll use this from a post-production standpoint. If a catch angle, I feel like significantly improves the, the storytelling of that shot or that throw, then I will cut to a catch, but it has to do it for me. Um, like it has to give me that feeling. If it's just like, hey, this guy threw it into a field, and and oh, it's a it's a five hundred foot wide open shot. I, I I hate the idea of going to a catch hole, cam personally. Hole one, hole one, Emporia Country Club. Hole T-shot. one at Emporia Country Club. Um, the the only reason why I personally would like to see that get to a catch, uh, get switched to a catch, is if it is. Pushing to an OB, left or right, and that's about it. That'd be the only time, or if it was thrown so ungodly far, 
which is tough to tell in the moment. But it's going to be so ungodly far that even a zoomed-in throw cam may not you know, follow it that well. But only if it's mm-hmm. challenging an OB left or right on Emporia Country Club, that's when I could see it uh, being cut. Uh, that, that, that's my answer. Johnny? Uh, Country Club is a good example. Um, most of the time, I'll take the, I'll take the cut um, at some point. You you want because like Terry said, if you're going out of bounds, you definitely want to see it. If it's thrown way past mm-hmm. the cameraman, there's a cool perspective of the cameraman spinning. Be like, wow, he threw it that far, further than our guys were expecting, and that's a that's a crush. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you know it's. Our, so is your question why do we cut it all or why do we cut mid flight? Because there are times at, you know, I would say at all at, at all so, some I mean obviously with a wide open one. It's give or take. Some sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. Hole sixteen at um at the country club is a perfect example where you 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 don't want to make that cut sometimes because that the way that the green is folds over, if it's too close to that water, I'll try not to make the cut because if I cut, you lose it. You don't see it. Mm-hmm. Like I I I hate I have a, my own uh and I know most of these holes well enough now where I know what has, you know, if the disc goes out of sight or this or that, um, it, it, it all depends. Honestly, it's, it's such a hard question, but in general, if you cut too late, people lose perspective on where the disc is, you know, you, you want to give them time to be able to see the disc come in. Um, if you cut too early, it can also do that a little bit. I like to try to mix it up personally because post-production is almost always the same thing. And it, it, it gets boring to me. It's over first. First, the shot is in front of the player, and I, I do this as well. Then it's behind the player. Then it's a mid-cut to the landing. Sometimes I just like to take it from the catch. I'll take the whole shot from the catch. Guess what? And yes. tell, Camera two, this is all you to, This is all yes. you right now. And it works great. <laughs> and I get burned by that because it works great in an open field. Sometimes I get risky. Yeah. And uh, hole three at the new hole three, we'll say, at USDGC, the, the tunnel shot. Um. Mm-hmm. That that is that was hole three, right? No, four. no, four. I'm sorry, four. The tunnel shot, four, four, yeah, four. Um, there were times I tried to take it from the catch. It's like I have to trust somebody. Like, all right, Brody's up. Do I think Brody's going to make a 300 foot tunnel shot? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, no, <laughs> you hit yeah. first available, and then you hit first available, and I, I made the wrong choice. I've done that, and yeah. some there there yeah. are times I risk it, and there are times that I just do it for fun because I'm freaking sick of watching the same back shot over and over and i'm just like i i need a change as a director because i'm getting bored as every guy's hitting first available whack whack so i'll just take a risk and be like i'm going to try to take this one from the catch cam please make it all the way down there and i'd say 80 percent of the time i'm good and there's 20 percent of the time i just oh that was a bad shot cut by me so So what's your what's your your take what's your your take take on it i'm always curious so yeah so my take is like I feel like this really, this really came about when we played that super foggy round at MVP. Mm-hmm. It was so boring to play mm. because you just lost the flight of the disc. Like it would leave your hand, you would see it go for three seconds, and then it would go into the distance, and then it was just gone, and then you lost the flight. And I think people watching it, you know, on YouTube too, also were like probably not as and didn't enjoy it as much as other videos. And I was like, 
man, this really just shows like how enjoyable it is to just sit and watch a disc, leave a hand, travel, hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking like, when you do cut, regardless of whether it's early, late, middle, whatever it is, you do lose perspective. No, yeah. and, and obviously, sometimes you lose more than others. Mm-hmm. But regardless, you do lose perspective. And it takes you a little bit of time of being like, wait, where's the disc coming in? How's it traveling? Is it flexing? Is it hysering? Mm-hmm. And my thought is like, when I'm watching it, sometimes I'm like, man, I really wish like I could just watch the full flight from behind. And then if it was a cool shot or whatever, then give me the replay from the catch cam and let me see the full shot replay from the catch or even ha- half the shot from like when it's coming in or something, if it does something cool at the, at the basket. Like I feel like that is just one thing I want more of and I don't okay. know if I'm in the minority there, but I'm with you too. Like I think some shots are way cooler if you're all the way down the fairway, zoom super in, mm-hmm. and then you slowly zoom out. Like, I think that's a cool shot versus always zooming in. Like, yep. I think certain shots play well for that. But for me, it's just, I definitely wish I could just see more full, more full shots because I think that is our biggest advantage against golf is golf, you get all the really, really nice close-ups <laughs> of the golfer talking to the caddy, whatever, whatever. You get the nice hit. They have to use the shot tracer when they want to have that shot straight behind because you can't see the golf ball. Yep. Or they cut to the tower that zooms in on the golf ball and you can't, you know, just traveling through the air, the sky. It's a white speck in a blue sky, yeah. (laughs) And then it's just boom on the ground. And um, that's why when you go to a golf tournament, I think going to a golf tournament is so much more enjoyable than – watching it on on tv because you get you're like holy cow like these guys are moving the golf ball like you can see them shaping and moving it it's so much harder to see that on coverage but in disc golf like we can see the disc obviously some people might throw a blue disc or a white disc or whatever into the sky and it's like Mm. okay that sucks but for the most part, we can see the shape. And I think that's just the beautiful thing about disc golf is seeing how a disc flies and, and, and just travels. I would love to just see that full flight versus a flex. If I get to see it flex this way and then you cut it right as it starts flexing out, I kind of just lose that beautiful S shape. Sure. And I'm just now seeing it come in this way. Um, that would be the only thing. But again, I could be in the minority. So no, I, th- I think it's a good perspective, and and obviously, you know, just like anything, we have you know, there's there's always a lot of different reasons. Some, um, and it depends on our commentators. Sometimes our commentators are looking at a full multi view where they can see every camera going on. So it wouldn't matter if we make the cut. Some of the commentators lately have just really wanted just program. What are we showing? And if I don't show them, um what happens at the end of the shot, oh. they are not going to be able to talk about it. So they're, if it does get up and kind of tw- like maybe get up and have a funky roll or maybe skitter kind of near the inbounds. I mean, there are discs that land in the middle and get up and roll 35 feet or, or take a really awesome, you know, hover skip that slides along the, the, the fairway. Um, it, what if you cut right when different. it hits? Would that yeah, be awkward? I, like that time? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a good question. Because I maybe we haven't tried it. Yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Like I hate, um, and I and I know some of the other directors do it. And there's only two other directors, so if you're listening, sorry. Um, 
I like to take sometimes the shot from what we call camera three, the 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 reaction angle, reaction right to camera two. And that works great on like the third or fourth person. But I want the first two people to establish, I always say establish a shot. Let the audience see what the players are trying to do before you take that away. Because I've seen some of the other product directors do it on the first shot. And I'm like, no, that's a horrible decision because if you, mm. you, you have to give the viewer the line, you have that first shot. You always, always have to take it from behind the player. I feel like we're a picture. I feel like we're a picture in picture though. Like I think uh, golf, you can get away. See, I think mm-hmm. golf, you can get away with that. Right. Because again, the just staring at it in the sky and not having any idea where it's going, it's whatever. So a lot of times golf, they hit the shot. And then all of a sudden, like you said, they cut to the close-up of the golfers like this being like, come on, go, go, go. And then they cut to the ball hitting the green and then boom. But I think like disc golf again, like I always just want to see the disc fly. So like (laughs) I would love, I would love to see like a, a reaction of whether it's Ricky running down the fairway after it, right? But like, I would love to see that like in a picture in picture, so I can still see the disc flying. And if I want, you know, my peripheral, I can see what the player is doing. But I don't know if I would ever want to lose the disc flight and only get the player's reaction live. Maybe in a maybe in like the replay yeah. and stuff, I would love that. Yeah, we usually but do. again, I might just be a disc flight snob. I might be a disc flight no. snob, and I just want to always see what the disc <laughs> is doing. Um, I, I think in general, you're right. I think we, you know, I would personally never hold on a player for the entire flight. I always want to see the disc where it lands. Um, m- my thought is sometimes like a stock hyzer shot where, where we've got a player yeah. throwing a 350 foot shot. Awesome. I can, I can show the first one or the second one, but here's what I know. 95% of the time, it's the same shot from every player. That's to me when I have a chance. Those most boring shots are that when, makes I get, sense. when I get to play around. Like, cool. We've all seen a hyzer, you know. It is is it a left? Cool, lefty's coming up. This is awesome. Now we're going to show the shot again. Otherwise, maybe I'll I will hold on a player longer on on a stock hyzer because you might get them kind of like running out to the side to see where it lands or things like that. It's it's a it's a it's a delicate game to play sometimes and it's it's fun it's because i get to try a ton of different things um and not ever not and trust me they don't all work out i've taken a ton of drone shots that look phenomenal i was just say like they're do awesome we not, and there's some of them that look can like we not put the, <laughs> can we not put the drone is it because like we're worried about players complaining can we not put the drone like 30 mm. feet above 10 15 feet behind no, are we worried about the players complaining? Is that why, or what? The, there have been I think some. That's a cool shot. It, it is a great shot. There are times the there's. I mean, there's some significant issues. A with uh, drone the drone safety. We've got people mm-hmm. uh, spectators that we need underneath. To, yeah, underneath of it. Um, you've got the distraction of how come the drone is only on the lead card making these buzzing noises and it's not in the other cards. It's a, maybe an unfair disadvantage. So the yep. the drone operator has to stay at a certain level. Um, above, I, I don't know how many feet they're they're up there, like 70, 80 feet above. So it really reduces the noise because, again, there are some really cool shots at USDGC hole five going over the water. Water, like, yeah. Sometimes that looks really cool. And there are times you, you do that and you're like, oh, that just did not work. No one could see it. It was a bad See, cut. I was going to say, like, bad, that, that like, one to me, like, if you, I know exactly the shot you're talking about where the drone's yeah. over the water. 
yeah. you're filming the person this way and you're getting that nice pan there. Mm. Like to me, that's a sick replay. I love that. But yeah. like I hated that really? when it was live. Yeah, when it was live, I hated that because I couldn't get perspective of whether or not the disc was going to like go in the water. Oh, sure. You lose all pers- you lose all perspective of that. Like where if you're a catch can behind the basket or you're behind the player, I can see like, oh, that thing is Heisman way too much. Like that needs that needs to dig. That needs to dig. The drone, I lose that, and I can, I can see what you're saying. Is like, all right, we've gotten two good shots. Yep. Let's just throw the drone in. Drone putting, though. I'll, I'll be the first to say it. I hate it. Really? I've never liked I've never liked a drone putt shot. It, never. The, 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 the drone putt hate is it. the drone putt is I'll say I'm gonna throw interesting in quotes because usually I use it as a cleanup. Everyone's within eight to twelve feet. Nobody's missing those. Oh, nights. that's fine. Like that's fine. I, I'm, I'm talking about I've seen yeah. it I've seen it used for like thirty footers. I'm sure we I'm have. Like, I yeah. I know I for a fact we have. I, <laughs> because you can't. I have no idea what's going on. The, you, you, have a, you have a much more difficult time to know if they miss. Did it miss right? Did it miss left? Did it miss low? Correct. Did it miss it's high? Perspective. It's it's totally about perspective. And here's, well, here's and also another. Too, like, like I was going to say, one more little secret. If uh, most of the time, you know, when you see the scoreboard go away, I, I told you that secret. The other secret is I'll pick funky angles on players that don't matter anymore. If you've got if there's like a race that. between Ricky and Brody, I'm probably like taking that. stock shots for those. Like I don't want to ever think about losing or screwing up one of those important shots. But you know what? Guess what? Um Ezra, he maybe he I won't even say which Ezra. He fell off 12 strokes that last round. We're going to maybe take him from the drone. We're going to try to take his from try the catch stuff. cam. Yeah. Like we're going to do a little bit extra for him because I don't I, everybody cares less about him at this point. He's not the story. He's the he, for me. He's the the color now. I can do what I want. But but you're but you're right. On a lot of times, we 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 try things that do not work. <laughs> well, yeah, that's fine. I was just saying, like I don't. No, that's if, good. If there are people out there that are like, I love the drone putting. I mean, well, we always have to always disagree on that because <laughs> I I will never understand that. Everyone has a right to but, be wrong, right? <laughs> well, it depends. Which so outfit the, are they wearing? Are they wearing their tennis yeah. outfit or are they wearing the golf outfit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. exactly. your your opinion might change at some point. Exactly. Um, so the advantage disc golf has, right? I talked about the advantage off the tee. We can see the disc the whole time. That's awesome. The disadvantage disc golf has is the putting is way less dramatic because the disc gets to the basket way faster than a ball gets to the hole in golf. Mm -hmm. One shot that I haven't seen, which I think could be a really cool shot, is not up high where the player's head is, but the camera down where the release of the disc is directly behind maybe a little bit offset so that way the player doesn't block the basket Mm -hmm. but like directly behind the putt so you're getting because like one of my favorite angles and you can't really get this in disc golf is like the angle where the the they have their off the green and the camera's like down on the green level Mm. and you literally can just see the ball the putter and the hole and like the holes in between the camera and the putter and you just see that I love that you can't really get that obviously behind the basket because the basket would just cover everything but I wonder could you get that shot if you went directly behind and zoomed in on the player so now you're getting like the frame is literally just Mm -hmm. 
the basket, the putter. And so now you really get that perspective of like, oh, that's going left. Oh, that's right out of his hand. That looks low. I think you might get a better perspective. I could be completely wrong. No, but you I mean, might get a cool perspective of like if that putt's going in or not right out of the hand versus, you know, when you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the standard putter's shot, right, is like off the side to the yeah. left. Mm-hmm. So you kind of lose that a little bit. Yeah, that 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 tends to give us the easy. It's the easiest shot because to do. But I mean, we're we're fortunate that in the live broadcast, a lot of times we do have two cameras. So and yes. it's, it's it's my job to tell somebody uh, you're getting the shot. And usually I'll tell somebody you're getting the shot. You're going to get the replay angle. So when I tell someone to get mm-hmm. the replay angle, that means they can do something a little different. They're they know they're not. I'm I'm not going to come live to them, and. Sometimes it's a real low angle. Sometimes it's like a side angle. Sometimes they'll push right in on the face if it's that if that's the shot. Like I want, I want I the like tight that. reaction. Yeah. So if they do happen to miss, or if it's a big putt and they nail it, you get you really get the excitement in it. Um, but but yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, and there's no reason why we couldn't. You know, just uh, it would just be a different angle for the guys on the ground too. That's something you would have to take up with the camera guys. Yeah, talk, talk to it'd one be, of them. It'd be, yeah. Yeah, it'd be to interesting to see what that looks like. Yeah, but right, you well. could literally—I guarantee you—if if you talk to one of the guys before one of the rounds or before the day before, and sat there and say, "Hey, get I'm, this I'm, putt for me." <laughs> well, no, seriously, say like, "Hey, I'm going to putt this four times. Stand here and tell me how that looks." And maybe, maybe you'll look at it and be like, "Yeah, that didn't—that's not as good as I imagined." Or maybe they'll be like, "Holy crap, we never really tried that before." And they—I guarantee you—we could throw it into a broadcast. Because all you'd have to all they'd have to do is say, "Hey, we did this really cool shot with Brody. Uh, we're going to try it on hole two or four or whatever. We'll we'll arrange it to happen or something." Yeah, those yeah the camera guys cool. they they, right. they love that stuff, man. They like to if if the camera guys can get to be more uh, artistic, they love it because they get sick of the same yeah. stuff that we do too. <laughs> well, and they're not they're not like gr- grunt camera people, right? Like the people that are behind the cameras are like artistic people. Like they like yeah. the production yeah. side. They like. They like getting the, mm-hmm. the beauty shots and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah. I think sometimes people maybe view them as just like taking orders and like have no, like they are super skilled. And I mean, and yes. from the packages that you guys are making, they are clearly super skilled in like uh, cinematography and all that. So yep. yeah, no, that's sweet. But, I've, oh, all right. I, I well, think I've taken it. Oh, go for it. One for more it. question. Then we wrap it up. I promise. Yeah, have it, would, you watched, it wouldn't be real if it wasn't one more. Have you watched DGN on tour yet? The docuseries. The new docuseries that's come out yet. That's a yes, um, and he didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> or he can no. say no, and I'll admittedly say no, and I I, I, I work no. with DGN, and I haven't seen either of the last two Mondays yet just because I'm banking them for when I have more time, but... <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to – here's the thing. I saw the trailer that they hyped up at the tour championship. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, like, there, there's a reason why I'm not wa- – I haven't really, like, been like, oh, I want to watch this because I saw the trailer. So, Or not the trailer, but I think it was like a – it wasn't a trailer. It was a piece like from – Like a clip from it. Yeah. yeah, it was like a two-minute or two-and-a-half-minute clip. Um, I could I could be way wrong with like what my expectation is of it. Um, I think obviously the watching the clip and like hearing what people say and like what Jeff has said and stuff, they've clearly watched 
what F1 did and, or excuse me, Hard what knock, Netflix F1 did. Cause that's, Netflix. yeah, yeah. What, what they did. And again, like, I think the big difference, I'll say this, the big difference in those, in those situations is you have an outside production company that says like, we want to come in and make a documentary or a, a story. We want to build something. And this seemed like, um, again, it could be incredible. And, from what I was told, like, was Corey the only one filming it and like producing it and doing all that? Or was there a bigger team? So it was Corey and Dustin were the, were two of the guys that were doing a lot of the filming, and then I know uh, Joe Canali, who's worked uh, for ESPN for many years and owns Bluefoot Entertainment. Uh, it, it has done some of the editing and such for it, and then I uh, I know actually I think one of the there's a Milwaukee local. That I believe is doing some of the uh, sound uh, engineering engineering for it. So it's uh, it's it's what a, has it's been the people. What has been the feedback that you guys have seen? Because I haven't, I have really dug into the feedback on what people are saying about it. I would say it's about it's eighty percent positive on the feedback. It's a lot of um, it is beautifully shot. Like the it it could stand up on any series. Now whether you enjoy the content. Yeah, me personally, I mean, it's I think it's difficult when you have, you know, with we'll take like the F1 or, you know, hard knocks. When you have a lot of cameramen, you can follow a bunch of people and create a story around it. It felt like Corey or whomever picked a person or two Mm -hmm. and followed them around. And if the story didn't work for them, like week one, and I, I only watched the first episode was James Conrad. They followed. Yeah, it. that's the part that we, that's the part and, we saw. And, and and James didn't do anything. My, out of like, well, he didn't do well, much last my, year in general. But like, it 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 felt a little hollow. It was like, hey, and I understand you. There's nothing wrong with showing someone struggles. But and the other thing, I didn't, I didn't, or I don't say I didn't care for. I would love to see less of a of a of a recap because it felt like 15 minutes of that oh, video was is that what it was was. Was kind of like a recap because again, you follow James around. You talk about this event he's going to. You know, it's the Las Vegas Challenge, and he's the returning world champion. And you get this really cool stuff about him. You know how it's like the first day of school. You're back with all your buddies, and that stuff is really great. But when James doesn't do well, then they spend ten to fifteen minutes. It feels like recapping the rounds. Like, oh, and then we're going to talk about Gannon Burr and. Uh, and, and, and it's like, that's not what I'm there for. I don't ca- I watched the rounds and, and granted, are they like, using footage from the rounds of some where of it, it's like, yeah, some of it okay. is, is shot is they, actual round footage, but a lot of it is the stuff Corey walked around and did, you know, he's there getting mm-hmm. the story as well. I just don't love, again, I was there. So maybe I'm not the right clientele for it. I wasn't there, but I watched, so I don't need to know, you know, Gannon and, and, uh, Drew's story. I don't Now, If you give me if you follow Gannon off the course and get like his, you know, the, the reaction and talk with him about what that meant to him, I would love to see a little more of that. I want to see more behind the scenes and less focused on the, on the event personally. It's shot gorgeous. It's done. It looks great. I don't, maybe I'm not the right person. Um, cause I, I was yeah. a little bit, I was a little bit bored on the first episode. So I'm looking forward to the second episode. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to try. I wanted to watch it today and I didn't get a chance, but, it's in general, it's, I mean, it's good. I wouldn't say it's great. Not, not for what I so would. Here, here, here are my things. First one is, is the goal of this 
series, right? Like, because again, like Paige's goal of her document, uh, her, her documentary, from what I heard, was to get on Netflix so more people can get introduced to disc golf, right? If that was the goal of this show, was to get more people introduced, which I don't think it was because it's behind the paywall, right? So to me, it feels like that wasn't the case. I don't know if that was like a decision that maybe was made later once they saw what they had. But if it's behind the paywall, I would assume or guess that it was to try to create content in the off-season to uh, retain subscriptions and also potentially pick up new subscriptions in the off-season, right? And I think from, you know, watching, you know, there's a bunch of people that watch me and Ezra do a practice round. I think the disc golfers that love consuming content, they're going to consume content regardless of how well produced it is or what it is, as long as it's somewhat entertaining. And I think what you're saying is right because to me, like when I watch like NFL films, right? When they do like the mic'd up stuff and you get to hear all the mic'd up stuff that you don't get to hear during the game, Sure, I'm still watching some of the plays and stuff I saw, but I'm getting different camera angles and I'm also getting content. Like I'm hearing what they're talking about that I did not hear during the games. And I think that's obviously super interesting. Now, if you want to get, I mean, we don't have to get too much into it, but obviously you go and look at, you know, Foundation's podcast and the number one podcast is me talking about the stuff I have with Paul drama of where people not liking each other, someone doing this, like that is interesting, right? You go and you look like I am locked in. Like, I think it comes out. It might've honestly come out. I might watch an episode tonight. I don't know. Love is blind. Like I'm locked into these shows because they create these characters essentially and the same thing with Formula One. If 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 that document, if that a uh, document, oh God, I keep saying I want to say docu series, but I don't docu- know if that's the right word. If that's a good word. Yeah, is that right word? Okay. Yeah. If that was more about just like the nuts and bolts and the facts and all that stuff, I probably wouldn't have been that entertained because I'm not a big Formula One guy to begin with. Same thing as like if uh, NFL films or Hard Knocks or anything like that was more like the nuts and bolts and not like talking about like this guy getting cut from his team and like he has to call his grandma and like those clips that go viral and stuff. Like I, if you're telling me that it's not that at all and it's just basically like someone doing a practice round, then they just kind of recap what happened in the tournament and that's it. And you don't ever get any like, the juicy stuff kind of. And again, some people might be like, well, we don't want that in disc golf and stuff. And it's like, you say that, but yet again, I just told you the biggest podcast that we have on our thing is people listening to what beef me and Paul had. Mm -hmm. Like you say, you don't want that, but yet you consume that. I mean, it does. You say the same thing. Like you want, I'll say again, this might be a little harsh, but I'm saying this from some a comedian, so it's not my words, it's the comedian's words, right? Like you say you want women WNBA players to make as much money as NBA players, 
right? You say they should, but you don't go to their games and you watch every single keeping up with the Kardashians. Like if everyone that was watching keeping up with Kardashians, like they're all on board on like WNBA players should be getting paid more than NBA or the same. Like if all those people that cared about keeping up with the Kardashians and all that drama and all that stuff, if all those people were like, we're going to support the WNBA, WNBA players would be the highest paid athletes in the world because, I mean, you guys are just throwing money at these people. I mean, Kim Kardashian has stupid money, right? And so, like, at the end of the day, like, that stuff sells. Like, people love hearing about that stuff. They want to know about that stuff. And I can see how the Disc Golf Network might not want to, like, put that out. But, like, if a third party came in, and like was like we're going to film this and we're going to film what actually happens in these tour vans and what conversations happen after the rounds and what goes on at I mean I think it, everyone's going to be tuning into that right oh, I, like I, what I, I, the problem I, is it'd be short lived yeah I, I mean and I agree with you like 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 I said episode one focused on Conrad who there, there's nothing drama there's no there's no drama in Conrad period. Like how long did his hair get? The, 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 the dude is is the nicest guy in the world, and he's the most soft spoken, and he's super friendly. And the other story was Kona, which now I don't know. Again, we're only two episodes in, and I haven't even watched the second episode See, yet. That drop that if, drop could have been really good into the season, though. If you can right follow, Kona, and maybe they will, because right? again, they talked about her and how she she signed this big contract and she did not perform at mm-hmm. Las Vegas. So if you're starting a thread that will last throughout on tour about how Kona's season is going. That could be good. It not good for Kona, unfortunately, because that, but, no, but it could be a good storyline. And, and I don't know if that's what they're doing, but I agree with you. I would love to see more, you know, get, and, and, and the problem is you put a, you put a camera in front of some of these players and they're going to, they're going to clench up. You're, you're not going to hear how, you know, oh, like, oh, my gosh, you know, John really can't stand Terry. You know, I'm not going to be sitting talking about that with cameras in front of me, probably. You know, I mean, I'll save it for my podcast. <laughs> but um, it's so. Yeah, you no, know, you're right. And that, I mean, that's one thing that disc golf. Yeah. I, that's one thing I hate about disc golf. And I, I, I hope it eventually goes away is like players are just so and they have to be. The problem is they have to be. They have to be concerned. It's a it's, disc golf right now is a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. They have to be concerned with not upsetting people. Like, do you think it was a smart business decision for me to like basically bring out the situation with Paul? No, because there's a bunch Maybe. of Paul fans. Maybe there's a bunch of Paul fans that absolutely hate me and will never buy one of my discs and will never support me no matter what happens. And I'm sure. That's how a lot of, and again, I'm in a situation where I don't need or want or any of that. I don't want people to support me that because I want to be myself. I want to say what I believe and stick to my values. And but how does Trevor feel about that? Because I say that. <laughs> you know, you've got well, other people in your company you need to, you, you need to think no, about. No, for sure. And, and here's the thing. Me and, I mean, yeah. me and Trevor and Hunter had a lot of conversations about yeah. what should happen and not. And trust me, I bit my lip a lot. I, I held back a lot of what I wanted to say for the good of foundation. Right. And like, sure. that's, I, I understand because that wasn't, if it, if I was, if I was uh, not connected to that at all, it would have been a lot different. But when it comes to me on a personal level, right. Of like, 
when I can say stuff that's kind of separate from foundation or whatnot, um, at the end of the day, like I want to be able to go to sleep at night knowing that I am who I am and I'm saying the stuff that I believe and I'm not saying stuff to try to gain other people's popularity or other people's favor or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I'm financially in a position where I can do that. There are people on tour that cannot do that. They, you know, just started disc golf two years ago. Their career is just starting. Like the, and again, we just talked about the 16 people making $40,000. There are tons of people on the PJ tour that have zero fans. Like literally if they're like, Hey guys, we're going to do a meet and greet with Patrick Cantley. I mean, I'm sorry to throw Patrick Cantley under the bus, but I don't know who that is. But that's clearly, that's why. Yeah, exactly. You don't know who that is, but he's one of the top like 15, 10 golfers in yep. the world, and you have no idea who that is. That's my point exactly. Yeah. He doesn't care if you know who he is or not because he's making bank by going out and winning tournaments, getting top fives. We can't do that in disc golf right now. We have to have that sponsorship money. We have to have those fans. We have to have that support. And I'll just say it. I think that makes disc golf boring because I think it's way more interesting than it actually is when you start having people come out of their shell and say what they actually mean. And I mean, again, you can say what you want about Nico, but like if there wasn't a Nico on, on tour, there would be a lot less to talk about. A lot well, less to talk about. When people about. stop getting polite and start getting real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> real world. Well, um, again, like that's, that's a, that's a different, but, that's maybe a different, yeah side of things right like it doesn't have to go to that extreme but my point is like when you ask someone a question are you going to get what they actually think and what they actually feel or are you going to get the pageantry answer of like i don't want to upset and i think my only follow-up to that really would of course i feel the same way in disc golf media people have always said to me or us that you don't ask hard enough questions you don't do this you don't do that that's like because right now we're at the mercy of having to have a few fans and having to have the support that we do have because we're not getting paid multi-million dollar contracts to just be talking heads. Skip Bayless can say whatever the hell he wants because he's getting yep. a check no matter what he says. We're not in the same, and, mm-hmm. and we have to rely on the, the, the people that are willing to give us their time to then ha- have us have a show because, if honestly, if you come on here and we're just a prick to you every single time, there's going to be like one of those times, maybe two, <laughs> if we trick you a second time. So that's why there's to some degree, and it's not to say we want to go easy and let everyone off every hook, but we also have to play nice to some degree. And, you know, if that makes us the Ellen of podcasts, well, minus the the harsh working environment. But if we're the Ellen of podcasts, like we have to be a little bit. nice. No, I think you guys, I think you, I can't remember what podcast it was, but I tuned into one and I was like, dang, you guys are asking like, some decent questions to where you weren't letting the person <laughs> well, I mean, like they were they were you guys are asking some decent were, like, questions be, well no i'm saying like they were like be, giving like yeah. that normal bs answer of where you everyone knows the only people that don't the only people that think it's not a bs answer are people that are just like monster fans and like they can say whatever and can't do anything wrong 
and you guys weren't letting that slide. I can't remember what it was, but you guys weren't letting that slide. And you would like re-ask the question or like rephrase it or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, that's good. Like, I mean. Yeah, we have to do that. So I forgot. Uh, what did you say? Uh, <laughs> oh, here it comes, bro. What, what's, coming, what's coming next year? What did you say? And where are you No, see, with? like that. And what kind of the sponsorship. <laughs> no, no, no. See, the sponsorship thing. That That's not me tiptoeing around anything. That's me like. Is, I, is that I BS really pageantry? answer is that what that was no no no. because there is an announcement coming like i'm not bsing about that if there's someone who knows what an announcement to an announcement it's terry miller (laughs) i i no, but if you guys were but if you guys were to ask me like a tough question or something that uh made me have to think or something that brought up something where i was like oh man i've never been asked that before like i would have more respect for you even if that made me have to come out and say something you know if you were like hey um you know, you were an absolute douchebag to everyone you played Ultimate Frisbee with. You got people constantly saying like how you're just not a good person, yada, yada, yada. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, obviously, do I want to bring up my past of like how I was a really bad sport in, in Ultimate? No, I don't want to have to bring that up. But if that was something that you brought up, like that's a fair question to ask. Like, I don't, I don't think players should... Uh, get upset with questions being asked of them, especially if it's like one that is, you know, topical or something that people at home want to know. Like, well, and like take that particular question from you um, that you just gave about yourself to me that right now, that's an old question. That's something that you've, you've discussed, you've talked about. It's been talked about like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not here to rehash the same things. You know, I'm when Paige Pierce comes on, I'm not going to talk about how when she left prodigy again, like it's like, you yeah, know, like sure. Think, but, you're, but, if there's, but you're right. If there's there's if, things if, like that. If there is something, mm-hmm. yeah, there was something more, you know, like if I hadn't had, had, uh, you know, my discussion of, about the Paul's thing and you guys wanted to ask more about that or whatever it may be. Yeah. Like I think everything's technically fair game and I would just much rather people instead of them giving a BS answer. And again, this is coming from like a fan perspective because I have, we watch this all the time with athletes, right? All the time they just give the PR answers and it's so boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, even if I don't agree with someone, I much rather re- I respect someone more, I guess when you know what they're saying, even whether you agree with it or disagree with it, at least they're saying what they believe in versus saying something that they just know people want to hear. Yeah, That's, I, I guess, my... No, I agree. And I, I think just as ju- to kind of restate what Johnny said in a sense, like top, what you said, you know, what the fans want to hear and what's topical. There's a fine line between what's topical and what I really care about hearing and what might be either rumor mill or might just be, you know, silly controversy or whatever. Like, I I have a different perspective because we're not here to interrogate. That's a a big phrase for me, at least, is there's a fine line of like having a guest to have conversations. Maybe there's maybe there's a difficult situation at hand that's worth discussing. But at the same time, when I'm often it's usually me that's scrutinized. Uh, when it comes to interviewing stuff, it is well. You didn't it, you didn't interrogate like you didn't challenge them you, enough on this. Yeah, that's and it's the, like I'm not a judge here either. I can ask a question, 
I may or may not agree with the answer and I may or may not push back, but just because you didn't hear the answer that you wanted to hear doesn't mean I didn't necessarily ask a bad question or a mm-hmm. good question. It just means you're just not happy with the answer. And and I, I do hate that sometimes because people think, well, get them on Smashbox and then, you know, you really have to ask them the tough question. It's like there's there's a there's a fine line between a tough question, a real question and like interrogation and i think a lot of people just think well you know you really need to put them through the grinder and ask them these questions and it's like well we can arrive at that but i don't have to be a jerk about it either so yeah and i was gonna say i think a lot of it has to do with like the relationship you have with the person i feel like i know i know you guys well enough to where if you were to ask me something that maybe some people because again i don't there's not really a tough question. There's not something that you could ask me that I, that I would immediately be like, I'm leaving. I got to get out of those things, right? <laughs> um, but I feel like we also have a decent relationship at this point of where we can have a conversation about mostly anything. And I'm not going to feel like you guys are interrogating me or you're trying to get me in a, oh, got him kind of situation where I could see like you maybe having Isaac Robinson on for the first time as you know, rookie of the year or whatever. Right. And like all of a sudden you throw a hard question at him. I could see how he'd be, him be like, what the heck, why are these yeah, guys doing yeah. this? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, so yeah, I, I think you have to read the room a little bit on. on uh, totally. And, and that's where I continue to go back to the, the overarching premise of our podcast, not to say we're just a couple of goofy fluff balls here, but we're here. I mean, as I always say, how serious are you taking our podcast when we've got Madison Walker doing owl calls? Like, I mean, to some degree, <laughs> we're supposed to be a little bit fun and lighthearted. We talk about stuff with our guests that you don't hear on any other podcast because it's off the wall and wacky. And we kind of mm-hmm. love that as well. So if you think you're getting like going to be grilled here, it's probably not the case. And that's not to yeah, say that podcast minutes, can't right? do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're just yeah. we're not structured that way. And if somebody else wants to be, I'm all for it. But that's not necessarily, uh, you know, yeah. our our objective here. I don't know. I just it's funny what people expect when they don't get the answers that they want to hear for whatever reason, or they didn't like the answer they got. And they feel like I let them down. And it's always like, well, that's one Mm -hmm. angle of it um, for how you enjoy the situation. Yeah, I think it's it's a problem that eventually will go away as more media comes about, right? Like, sure. You know, Charlie's doing a great job with with Mm -hmm. his media side of things. Mm -hmm. Trevor's doing a great job with his interviews. Like, the more media continues to go, like, people aren't going to necessarily you know, come after you and being like, you had them on the show. Why didn't you talk about this? Because there might be someone else that like, that's more their MO. They want to, they want to dig into that kind of stuff. And, um, right now we just, you know, the interview, uh, the interviews and stuff that we're doing, you know, pre tournaments and stuff, it it is very much the same question week in week out because we just, we don't have multiple media outlets coming Mm -hmm. with different angles. You know, there's one media outlet, which is the Disc Golf Network there. Sometimes Charlie's there. Sometimes maybe the PDGA guy's there. But other than that, it's like the same kind of angle. (laughs) Yeah. It's me. And let me be very clear. There was one, there was, there's been more than one event this year where I sat down and I was like, 
I'll just make up a name. Uh, hey, Brody. Uh, yeah, I've looked at your last five events and you haven't been in the top 10. What's going on here? Is there anything you can attribute to that? And I may I may kind of come at you and immediately what comes in in the comments? Whoa, Terry. Terry sure is negative today. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, but isn't that's what we're trying that's to get to. That's what we're trying to, right? to get to. Like, it's, yeah. so it's, it's been frustrating that, because if it's I do tough come when it's at only you, coming from you, it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, tough if when I do you're the come only at you person. with that, it's like, well, why is Terry being such a? Di- oh, he doesn't like Brody. Look at him being a dick to him during this interview today. It's like, <laughs> no, I want to know why he's not in the top ten, and I'm I'm just being frank about it. But then all of a sudden, people don't be know, a jerk, Terry. Yeah, they truly. I I had multiple people comment this year, like, man, Terry's really going hard on so and so. He doesn't like such and such. It's like, no, I'm just asking a question, <laughs> and like you said, everything should be fair game. So. It it's not be. personal. It's, it's yeah. not personal. If it, I mean, I mean, I have a show that's called Debate Night, and we yep. we very rarely ever have anyone that wants to actually debate. Like, I'm looking for people that di- <laughs> differ from my opinions and stuff. And so, like, yeah, I welcome that in interviews, especially of like, hey, you said you were going to do this, and you didn't do this. What's going on? Like, I feel like you know you should also be accountable for what you say and all that stuff. And and I'll I'll also go with you know, what you just said about being like the nice interview and all this stuff and comments, like, I think that's the minority. I think the majority of people that want to listen to what someone's saying doesn't want to hear the same happy roses, all that stuff. Like when I'm mm. watching, you know, I'll, like tomorrow or not tomorrow night, sorry, Saturday night, uh, whether I'm here or I'm in Jacksonville, I will probably be not going to bed until very early in the morning because there's a big UFC pay-per-view. And the fight's going to be probably finishing around one thirty Eastern time, depending on how long the, some of these uh, rounds go. I'm still going to stay up, though, because I want to wait for the post-round interview. I want to see these guys that just you know fought for their lives in the octagon. I want them to sit behind you know the desk, and there's going to be questions all around. And if there's questions only from one person – it would not be that good because I would be going getting what that person cared about where there might be a question that I'm like, what the heck? Why did that person ask that question? That was stupid. But then the next question is one like, yes, I want to hear that. I want to hear why didn't he sure. sit down after whatever. And I think that's where it's tough when it's just you doing the questions. It's very hard for you to be like asking the questions that everyone wants to hear. And um Again, I think that's just a media thing. And I think that will probably only really be solved when we – it doesn't seem logical for like actual media people to be at the events. So it will only be, probably be solved if we have more people that zoom in or call in or do web, whatever it may be. And again, that's only going to happen when those people are making money off of what they're getting or what they're writing or what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of a – uh, a domino's effect, yeah. yeah, of where it's like we we need it, you know, people need to be, want that stuff, but they're not going to get it until, yeah, it's 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 tough for what it is, but yeah, I mean, dude, you don't have an easy job when it comes to like being the sole interviewer for not just one person, but for like fifteen people in a row, like yeah, it uh, and I'm and I'm how are you I'm, feeling about coming in this tournament? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I'm not complaining, like, like, but. <laughs> And I'm very blessed to be where I am, and I'm not complaining. But I, you know, we'll, we'll use Paul as an example. Talk to Paul at the at the presser about the event that he's that I've watched him play now the last six years in a row, 
And then Paul's on the lead card or feature card after round one. I talked to him there. I talked to him after round two. Uh, he wins or is runner-up after the third and final round. And then four days later, I'm at the next presser talking to Paul again. Like, And again, I'm not complaining about my job, but yes, I just as much would love some fresh perspectives because my my intimacy almost with these players is it's not quite a detriment, but to some degree it is. So it's a blind spot at times. You can also only be as good as what the players are giving you as well. Right. And so if you have, (laughs) if you have players that are worried about what they're going to say, it it becomes, I mean, it becomes my job harder, but you know, that that I I should rise to that occasion. And trust me after uh, now a number of these pressers and being a, a lead at the press conferences, I'm, I am trying to really challenge myself. I, I got to a point where I'm writing questions, for God's sakes. I, I haven't written questions in 20 years. If you're doing prep work. I now actually do prep work, and then when I do, people are like, man, you went too hard on him. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all bringing up all his miss, you know, pots. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like that's got to be the minority, though. Like that, like, I, I think it is. It's a vocal minority. There's so many yeah. people that don't say anything that probably are just like, oh, good question, Terry, that aren't going to go online and be like, hey, Terry, the question you asked about why Paul was missing all of his 26-foot putts, that was a really good – most people are going to be like, why is he a dick? Yeah. That's just well, the way it works. Also, like, you got to look, too, at like what clips – like the way to look at it, too, right? It's like what clips actually get shared and viewed and stuff. Yeah. And like the one that like pops out to me is like the clip of like Paige basically saying that she like no longer cares about winning. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't come out if the question isn't asked. The if the question that let you know that sorry that yeah. statement doesn't come out unless that question is asked, right? Yeah. And it's probably not an easy question to ask someone, especially if you have some sort of relationship with that person. Yeah. But like that question has to be asked to get that response, and then that response gets shared and then people, you know, go bananas about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's part uh, of the job. Uh, <laughs> I, and in full transparency, I'll just say, uh, similar to what you said earlier, maybe a little bit, uh, often Paul has come on and, and before he's been on our show in the spans, the last eight years, he's like, Oh, you're going to ask me the tough questions tonight. And I'm always like, well, I don't know what that means. Like what tough questions? <laughs> like, but I can appreciate that. You know, someone like him is just, as you said, expecting to have difficult questions or expecting to get challenged a little bit. And I I think there's almost some of our players, Paul being one of them, some of our players can even use us as a vehicle because you may not want to come out and just say something. But if I ask you, then it's all part of this conversation and th- there's some PR savviness for all of our players. They should be taking advantage of us, uh, you know, to say, I, hey. I wish I was interviewed every week. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was there every week, man. Yeah. I, I have to blast all my stuff out on Twitter and people being like, Oh, here's Brody. There. Going Hot for take clicks. Brody. <laughs> all he cares about is clicks. All he cares about. It's, it's like, well, no, I, I want to get my opinion out there. What the heck? I, I don't have anyone interviewing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start hiring someone to just interview me before, <laughs> before, before my tournament. So then, it's just coming out some dark horse third party. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Are, definitely a way to do it. I, I, I have a final, final, no, du- yeah, sure, final, final dumb question. Uh, totally done. God, never. Are people still watching this? Yeah, we, yeah, yes, they okay. are. Yeah, retention rates uh, right <laughs> um, there at ninety some percent. Um, doing good. Are your Twitter videos monetized? Yeah. Yes. 
Okay. I make about $10 a video, so I'm killing it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I just noticed like the other day when I, I you had made a post on Twitter. Uh, that was sarcastic, by the way. I know. I, I, I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't uh, know if Terry, Terry was uh, like, wow. So Terry's I like, I'm his, getting on his that. Android, his Android brain over yeah. there was like, <laughs> oh, oh blue my God. Well, because I, I saw you made a post about uh, uh, a jokingly, I think it was Kelsey doing a form review. And then she shaked. Oh, yeah. And I went to click yeah, on it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, what is it? And then there was an ad that popped up beforehand. And it just made me think like, is he going to cut of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'd assume not, so if it not, was an ad, if an ad before a video, and I know it was like a twelve so the, second video, but so the money the money that Twitter really comes from, like I don't mm-hmm. really make that much money off yeah. of that, but occasionally what Twitter will do is they'll see a video, and you might see this in your feed where you get like a promoted tweet. So what Twitter will do is they'll see a video that you posted, and it was like, oh, this is getting really good engagement. Uh, people like this, we can promote this and get this into other people's Twitter feeds and throw ad in front of it. And people will, because Twitter obviously wants more people to see their ads, right? Because they make more, they make money off it as well. So like there was a video, I can't remember what it was. There was some video with Kelsey. It was just like a quick video I filmed. It was kind of a throwaway clip, but I just posted it up on Twitter and apparently Twitter loved it and they promoted it. And so like that clip that I just busted my camera out and filmed for 15 seconds, I think made like $5,500. So that's where the money is. It's not necessarily like when I post it and it's on my, goes out to my feed. It's more when Twitter picks it up and they promote it. And now they're promoting it to hundreds of thousands of people with an ad behind it. I get a little piece off of that. So Twitter probably made $50,000 or whatever. And yep. Here's your little crumbs, man. Here's your little crumbs. <laughs> it just so. hit me because, like I said, I, I, I looked at the video today and I was like, why does his have an ad? Like, no other videos. And it's probably because you're blue checked and whatnot. And just mm-hmm. so it just hit me. Yeah, man. YouTube yeah. YouTube Shorts is going to be monetized, too, coming up that's, in uh, 2023. Yes. That's, that's going to be a big one. Yep. That's coming up soon. Uh, yeah. So clearly you've done uh, a significant amount of I said it was last editing well, I didn't no but <laughs> no, it's, it's fine, a significant it's amount of editing and whatnot w- what is your crew team media like what what does that kind of look like pull back the curtain for somebody that's like oh how does this content get out what are you doing yourself these days versus stuff you're you're handing off or or uh, contracting to somebody else yeah, I mean, that's, it, I've kind of gone up and down through the mm-hmm. years, right? So, like, I first started out, I was filming everything myself, editing everything myself, and then posting it. Then I got hooked up with a uh, MCN, which we kind of talked about earlier, these big networks. And for, like, the big products and stuff, like, we would be doing, you know, $150,000 shoots. I don't really want to be in charge of that myself, and also with a production budget of fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, we can afford to have three, four cameramen. Uh, we can afford to have editors. We can afford to do all that stuff. So, like that was kind of like at the height of my trick shots, if you will. If you kind of watch some of those old videos, some of the Bro vs. Pro videos, mm-hmm. that had a whole team behind it, and I was only really involved in the editing side as far as them sending me out cuts. And me saying, like, I like that, I don't like that, change this, whatever. Um, now, kind of in where I am currently, obviously we have Jude, uh, which is Ezra's brother that tours. 
we've, we basically have hired him to film. So we pay him to film us. Um, and then I did all the editing last year myself, which I did not enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to have a little bit more time practicing and not editing. So I will probably be handing that over, um, to someone this year. So I probably won't be doing any editing this year. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I like, I like editing. I don't, I don't hate it, but there are people that are way, way better than I, I never really got, you know, doing trick shot editing is pretty easy, right? You have like a 15 minute clip of just fails. Yeah. And so you just scroll to the very end of the last 15 <laughs> seconds, cut, delete, and then boom, next clip. Like, if you go and look, like some of my better videos, honestly, were the ones that I just edited, shot, shot, shot. And then obviously when you get more camera angles, B-roll, replays, all that stuff, mm-hmm. it kind of adds to it. Um, but I enjoy editing. I'm just not very good at it. I never really dug into it to like, okay, what, what do I need to learn? How do I get good at this and stuff? Like, I, I just don't know if that was probably, probably wasn't the best usage of my time. So I'm going to find someone hire them. They'll do a much better job than I will. So probably our videos next year with Ezra are probably going to be better as far as like production goes. Um, but other than that, they'll probably be very much the same. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I think everybody is doing just that is trying to find their perfect, uh, you know, happy medium of what they edit, you know, some, for some people it's the process and, you know, more so even than what they actually ultimately put out and some people you know i i think of simon you know he clearly i think enjoys every component of it but as we all know in this you know in our room your room everywhere that you know it's a ton of work and uh at a certain point like you just said is there other ways you'd rather be spending your time or things that feel a little bit more gratifying um you know and my someone like myself i've edited out of necessity because i can and i i know how and it's just easier to get it done but I'm also at a point where I'd be okay to never edit again. So, uh, yeah, I don't love it as much as some other people do. Um, that's for sure. And like on the foundation side of things, we have two editors, we have multiple videographers. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, I like to, uh, like this, I like to just show up, spat out some words, call it a <laughs> night. And then, you know, people take care of the back end stuff and make sure they, posted and all that stuff. And then I just wake up the next morning and tweet it out and away on to the next one. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I will say this though. I think it's important if you are doing YouTube or if you are doing that, I think, I do think it is kind of important at the beginning to do it yourself just because you do, you will appreciate it more and have more respect for people that edit. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, that way you're not, uh, you're not such a douche to the editors when it comes to like, I don't know, expectations, deadlines yeah. or like, expectations. Oh, it's no big deal just to, you know, just slam, you know, slap this together. And it's like, no, you have no idea what it takes to, you know, put that 30 yeah. seconds together that you're looking for. Even, totally even putting like that. a, even putting like score text, like after yep. every hole, like putting it like that takes time. So I think it's, I think it's nice to, to have that background of knowing like how hard it is to edit. So that way, um, you're not so hard on the, 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 you know, these editors that work so hard. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's for sure. Uh, 
having all those uh, touching all those pieces. I just think it makes you a better boss, better manager, better leader yep. when you know the struggle or what somebody's you know about to go through. So, all exactly. right. Well, now we're going to call it. There are no more questions. See you guys next year, right? And uh, you know, we we'll do it uh, for our. <laughs> for an annual our, our annual Brody well, we'll see. let's see let's see how the viewers like this you know because yeah. you, you might have lost some fans for having me on here so we'll see how it is and, and if you guys think it was okay and it didn't hurt you guys too much <laughs> I'll be back next year now uh, it's it's uh, you can get on sooner when, when you win win an event we usually have the winners on yeah, Tuesday right. nights. I mean, that, that's that's the fast pass. That's, that's the, the that's, that's, that's nice. the in season. Pass. That's the in season pass. <laughs> yes, the in-season that would be pass nice. Pass. <laughs> so that would be nice. Yeah, uh, but no, we of course we appreciate catching up. Thanks for uh, reaching out. And, all your time uh, as well tonight. Yeah, we really appreciate yeah, all the no worries. insight. And uh, by all means, if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. But uh, looking forward, enjoy what little bits of the off season that you're gonna you're gonna take in and. Obviously, we'll, I'll see you next year at the Pressers with the hardest questions you have you never saw coming. We'll see if I'm there. I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm at the mercy of the Facebook mess, uh, the Facebook post every week of whether or not I'm on there. So we'll see. Hopefully, oh, hopefully I do some stuff to where I'm actually on there, you know? Like you don't want to talk to the guy that just got 80th place. So no. I, I, well, it I depends. If you've understand. got drama, if you get some drama in the week, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I'm not picking on her, but we had Kona on a lot. And she was a story this year. So on those mm-hmm. on those press conferences, and she was not finishing near the top very often. So I, again, be you know, throw some drama in your life. The Brody. Johnsonville Griller, yeah, sponsor. Yeah, I need more drama. You need more Thank drama, you. Brody. Thank you. you yeah, I don't have drama. enough. Thank you so much for throwing that at me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Have a good night. Have a Thanks great night, Brody. Us. Appreciate it. Take Thanks. it easy, guys. Of course, everyone. Brody Smith joining us tonight. Currently, you can support him by buying something from Foundation. Maybe right now with Discraft, although that doesn't sound like it was a lock. Let me tell you that. Mm, pop, lock, and drop it. <laughs> so, mm, I don't know. Did, good did, to have did, him on. Did we get any, any, was there any little hidden messages in there? Mm, I don't know. I, I've, I've heard rumors of uh, Lone Star Discs reaching out to people. Okay. Okay. And I I'm, I don't know about Brody particularly, but I mean he's in Texas. He is in Texas now. Um, so I mean, yeah. The that. <laughs> the, the rumor was uh, Nico and Cat mm. with Lone Star. That was the rumor I heard today. Very so, interesting. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to get to the bottom of that. So I mean, that's one sponsor Nico hasn't been on yet. <laughs> that's true. I know. I'm just saying. You know, he's he's pretty Look, much. If you've got sponsor board bingo. Uh, I'm, it's almost a blackout. You're playing for a blackout. For blackout. <laughs> <laughs> and was uh, the free space? Would that be considered gateway? Which was his uncle and his first episode. That is the free space right That's in the, the center. Free space in the center. So, uh, okay. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And you know, I just did have a conversation uh, the other. I don't remember who it was. Very recently, though, talking about like what's going on with disco free agency, and it's like it feels like there's been so many multi-year deals. And then some people who were, you know, like a Calvin who's, you know, are already spoiled the fun by saying he's involved uh, and has already extended. What a jerk. Uh, I'll just be interested to see, you know, what we're going to have for any off season or uh, free agency fun or extensions. So 
Uh, real quick on the board, Jonathan says, Kat said she has a multi-year deal, deal with DGA contract. That's Katrina Allen, of That's course. Katrina Allen, yeah. Uh, where Johnny... Oh, uh, Kat. Kat uh, Merch. Was not Kat Allen. Sorry. Um, uh, Brody and Ezra starting a team for foundation. I don't know. Uh, yes, and they're talking about Kat. Kat Merch. Uh, does Lone Star have a full lineup? Maybe he can throw Raptors in zones if he goes there. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure as... The, all I know... I don't... Go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, they have the Yeet, right? They've got the Yeet. They've got like two other, at least two other molds. The Thread, the Vibe. Thread and the Vibe. This is a free ad. Here's what, and here's what I'll say about Brody. I, I don't necessarily think he probably would care what he would throw. I don't think he's, like, someone's like, as long as he can throw this, I don't think, I, I bet you it doesn't matter to Brody. I'm sure he has discs he likes. I'm sure he has discs sure. that he, 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 if given the choice, he would probably pick a few Discraft discs, but I bet you... If he was an open uh, like, agent, yeah, any good pro can, can can pick up you know an infinite disc. Pilcher, in a, Pilcher suggests that he he's going to rule out Brody going to infinite though after <laughs> after the hey. specifics of that conversation. But maybe maybe that was just to throw everybody way off. Brody didn't say anything bad about infinite. No, I'm not saying he did, but <laughs> he he did say you know he doesn't know why he'd promote that brand if it's a if it's a competitor, a competitor yeah. To, but, but if he's a partner, then maybe there's a reason to promote him. Uh, Brody only knows Discraft. He would be crazy to try and learn this. I don't. Ah, think that's so. crap. He's he can throw a disc far, and you know what? I I went yeah. to the Latitude Factory. I can throw just as poorly with Latitude discs as I can with any others. So no, I honestly, all of our top level posts. Is it a pain? Yes, uh, but then again, some like Paul uh, had said he felt he did like all right. It was a blessing in disguise, and that a lot of our players when they have gotten new discs, there's a newfound excitement, and they kind of go out and train harder because they have to learn their new discs, and and that might actually make them a little bit better. So, uh, yeah. We'll uh, we'll see if anything's going to come of that. We'll we'll table that for now. All right, what are you working on? The uh, the giveaways? I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm getting our we giveaways. We got an do, extra one from last week. We do. I we was, do. Uh, Should we quickly wrap this up? Quickly go, in, or do we want to do one big long show today, Terry Miller? We, let, let's just, let's do the giveaway and then let's wrap it up. We don't, okay. We don't, we, there will be no official after show tonight. Oh, shoot. That's not what I wanted to do. Oh, figures. Uh, as I'm quickly just uh jumping through the facebooks i see that today now that we're into uh excuse me november 9th officially happy birthday to double g garrett Gerthy. it is his birthday today uh also i see dan harbeck who was already going to get a shout out so there dan's getting go. a double shout out uh dan very graciously stepped up and is a significant sponsor of the cold turkey which is taking place in just a couple of weeks that is the C tier that I'm running that's essentially sold out both for Saturday and Sunday, presented to us by Innovadis. Um, Dan had said that he really wanted to support the event. We're going to see him uh, stop out and, and say hello to everybody. But, Dan, thank you for your support. Um, yeah, people are going to be eating some nice hot pizza, and that's uh, in part thanks to Dan Harbeck. Happy birthday, my friend. Sapu Payud celebrating a birthday today. Uh, Debbie Bayless. Yeah. So bunch of birthdays out there today that just happened to pop up on my screen. So I figured I'd share them with you guys. Appreciate you and happy birthday. All right, Terry Miller. We have, we, we are, we are going to give something away. Yeah, we are. We have, I got a couple more things to give away. So, uh, 
uh, we'll find some goodies for you guys. All right, we have 154 people eligible for our giveaway today. Terry, how, what 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 number do we want to uh, let's, generate? Let's go with um, the fourth. All right, the fourth. It's not 36. It's not 65. It's not 65. Wow! wow everyone saw that. That's crazy. It's going to be <laughs> B65. Oh, and then give me the lot. 142. I did not win the 1.9 billion lottery that was okay. out there. So number 142, how they sorted tonight? Just by first name. I was lazy today. Yeah, 142 is Tim Lucas. Congratulations, Tim, Tim Lucas. Lucas. You have some goodies coming your way. And then we have another one to give away right away. We'll go ahead and line right. that up. Hold on. Let me, let me highlight that that cell so i don't accidentally we appreciate you tim thank you so Boom. much for All supporting right. and if you're wondering how in the world can you get some of that uh sweet giveaway i heard we are going to give away four get freaky zones thanks to brody who's going to send I'm just, he's not. <laughs> just just reach out to them and <laughs> yeah, foundation sponsoring the giveaway tonight uh, uh no i'll i'll send you some goodies in fact we're ordering some more goodies uh which is another story but um, yeah, we got some goodies for you. So I say you click it two more times. Two more times. It's not going to be... So right now it's still on 142. So our next number is 69. B65. B65. You really wanted 65. The final number is 80. 79, then 80. Congratulations, whoever is 80. Let me check that out. And uh, 80 yep. is going to be uh, Yuhani Ratanen. From Georgia? <laughs> I believe so. Uh, sounds like a guy from Georgia. Sounds like sounds like one of those good old-fashioned Georgian names. Yes, it does. All right. You, honey, will uh, get something out to you as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. <sighs> Terry, that was a long interview. Uh, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, real, real quick, I, I do want to just clarify uh, some of the stuff about the DGN on tour. Um, I would, you know, and we're talking in a world of infinite money. I'd love to like to have three or four of our camera, camera guys follow a player around for a week, like literally follow Ooh. them. Not, it, it feels like what, what we're able to get is just kind of tournament peripheral. Like they're at the tournament, they're practice putting, they're chatting. Maybe we get them, you know, a little bit of driving here and there, but like, I would love to embed, so to speak, Corey into, um, James Conrad's life for a week. I'm I'm not like. I'm he, not certain that didn't happen. He he might have, but if so, we didn't get a lot of it. And no, maybe no, no, it's no, not for that particular. I'm oh. just saying uh, upcoming. Basically, oh, I'm saying watch oh, all be. of them. I, and, we, and I will, of course. <laughs> um, again, we're we're only two in, and I've only watched half. So, um, batting 500 is still Hall of Fame. Yeah, that is where you belong. Um, so, and as Brody was saying, I'd love to get more. Um, Get really, and I know it's it's tight right now because the T boxes are, are are close. But get some of that talk, caddy talk, player talk, like that's the type of stuff I want to hear more of. The, the 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 for me the round recap just it it felt like mm. molasses. Okay. And and again, I already knew it was going to happen, so I would be curious to see someone else someone else's perspective that didn't know what happened at the event. That could be different, but I don't know. So I'm going to hopefully watch the second episode tomorrow, Thursday. 
All right. Uh, a couple of quick other minor notes. Uh, I think, as you said, the PDGA, uh, I was honored. Yeah. Uh, the PDGA called me up. Uh, well, not the PDGA. I should say Jennifer Allen uh, slid into my DMs <laughs> uh, and asked if I would be interested in joining on the podcast for the PDGA. Uh, more than happy to do so. It was it literally I was asked and a few hours later we were we were recording, which was Thank you. Uh, it was fun to be there, uh, to be with Grant and Jen. So I believe that came out. It came so. out, yeah, today. It's episode uh, 4.31, which I think is season 4, episode 31, maybe. And it says, do you know Terry Miller? Oh, gosh, do they ever. So uh, it it was a lot of fun. So I certainly appreciate uh, them asking me. And then in a similar sense, kind of. I mean, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? Um Last week, I was a the special guest, not only at the Delis, which is an award show, which I'll, I'll break down, I guess, in a separate podcast, but uh, was an award show that was amazing. You know, hats off to the, the entire Joliet crew. Uh, so I was a special guest there Friday night where they rent out an entire venue to then have an end of year award ceremony. So that was very cool. But then just before going to that, I was also the special guest for the Unstable podcast. And uh, that's put on, uh, many of you know, Sean, Sheila Callahan down there uh, from Delwood Disc Golf, also home of the Canyons and the Clash at the Canyons, which was on the the Silver Series when it was called the Silver Series. So uh, long form podcast. We went a few hours and I believe that's going to drop Friday as well. (laughs) As opposed to... <laughs> well, as opposed to... Uh, I don't know, the, originally, to be fair, and I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to see what it... What does it say, the length of PDGA that? PDGA one, an hour and five minutes. Okay, because they originally said, oh, I don't know, we'll talk for like 30 or 45 minutes. And Does no one, like, no one understand us? <laughs> Apparently, I talk a lot, so... Uh, Have you or I ever been brief <laughs> in our life? There is, there's a little bit of crossover from the PDGAs into the Delwood, but yet still very different uh, podcasts and formats. So thank you to both. If you you can't get enough Terry Miller here, then I'm going to have my own tomorrow night. uh, If you want to, you know, stop over at the drop zone, the drop zone is what you're calling. I will. I like it. uh, I will have, I'm going to break down the delis uh, during the drop zone. I was going to do it tonight. We've gone long enough, so I'll break down the delis. I tried to the other night. The technology didn't work, so it gives me an excuse. I've already given you a dry run, and uh, some of you saw it live, but tomorrow night I'll break down the delis, and I'll do that from my house. So, all right. sorry <laughs> if, I'm, uh, if I'm all up in your ears in one way or another. This week, you are all over the board, Terry. My mouth is all over your ears. <laughs> see that gives see, me the shivers shiver with excitement <laughs> that's not what that was <laughs> all right uh, that's been long enough uh to next week we will likely be talking to uh maybe our fpo champion from the phoenix ladies open i'm super excited to go out there and cover that i've got a couple cameramen heading out to oregon to cover uh the, the event that resistance disc is putting on the jacksonville um, event we don't even know if that's going to happen there's hopefully. a hurricane coming through and a lot of rain it might be a a, a cut event well all I'm going to end this with uh, is say what 
effing off season. No such thing. For Johnny V, I'm Terry Miller, the disc golf guy. Thank you. Big props to Brody Smith for joining us tonight. We appreciate the extra insight. That's been Podcast 428. We'll see you next week when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.